You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 522. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Lake Burton, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 25th of May, 2022. In today's episode, one person dies in a small plane which crashed into a Miami bridge. The FAA takes the licenses of those two pilots who tried to swap planes in midair, crashing one of them. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 522 is ready to push back. Thank you. That was Radio Roger's turn. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering, well, you guessed it, aviation stuff. I'm Captain Jeff, pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia, at least for the next 500 and some odd days. And joining me from her lakeside studio in South, a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. There are a lot of deer in my yard right now, so uh-huh. my dogs are being very vocal about that, and I will try to go shoo them away, because don't they know oh. we're recording a podcast here? No, they're just protecting you. The deer don't make you. any noise, but the dogs make a lot of noise when the they're deer are They're just protecting out. you. That's, the deer? That's sweet. No, no, no. Your dogs. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I suppose. Anyway. Yeah. It's part good of the charm. Here. Looking forward to the show. It's going to be a yeah. good one. I can tell yeah. already. Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, also joining us from his studio. Nope. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. World traveler, airplane. Nope. That's still wrong. Uh, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. <laughs> well done, you you got it out. By the way, with all that um, intro noise, uh, I'm a bit worried we might have introduced Smelly Vision. Mm, yeah. Well, good thing uh, it's just the vision and not the smelly part. <laughs> Uh, let's see. And also joining us, uh, from, uh, here we go. <laughs> uh, in his home studio, the air capital, low and slow pilot, old airplane enthusiast and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry. It's Nick Macho Camacho Man. Hey guys, I'm glad to be back here. Looking forward to talking about a few GA stories this week. Oh, I'm looking forward uh, to it as well. But I have a question, Nick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you an old aeroplane enthusiast or an old aeroplane enthusiast? Uh, I think that depends on your point of view. I mean, <laughs> uh, coming from you, 
I would uh, <laughs> probably say old airplanes. <laughs> fair enough, fair I'm enough. A yeah, that beard is enthusiast. Uh, beard is definitely not white enough. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and finally, <sighs> from <laughs> where the heck is she? From her studio in Toronto, Canada. Yeah. Retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. I'm here, wherever here is, I'm here. Yes, well, we're happy that you're here. And I don't know what happened. I set all this up just perfectly before we started, and now it's just reverted to the way it was before I did anything to it. So apparently I don't know how to save things. All right. Well, I think that we should just move on to some news. What do you think? Stand by for news. Okay. Well, we're going to start with this one. Uh, This is from NBCMiami.com and some other sources as well. Uh, The Federal Aviation Administration said that there were three people on board a single-engine Cessna 172 when it lost engine power and crashed, hitting a vehicle with three people inside. And we have a little bit of video to watch of the uh, scene right before the crash. We're looking at the Hallover Inlet Bridge uh, between Fort Walton, uh, Fort Lauderdale, excuse me, and Miami. And you did, did you see the airplane just go by? Uh, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Here it goes. Boom. Wow. Whoa. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. And then that's kind of the aftermath of the, uh, wow. of the airplane and uh, have some other uh, video, some, uh, some drone video that I'd like to play. And uh, it's, it's uh, right after this accident occurred um, here. Let me back this up a little bit. Um, uh, so this, I mean, literally had just happened. You can see the uh, people getting the uh, lady and her two, uh, young children out of the, uh, SUV. And she starts to walk over toward the airplane. They go, no, 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 go this way, go the other way. And then you can see the airplane here. And, uh, they're, uh, one of the passengers is just now getting out and, uh, stumbles and is on the ground. It's a pretty graphic video. So, uh, I guess I should have warned about that, but, uh, that was just literally, uh, just seconds after this crash took place, this, zo- this uh, drone ha- just happened to be uh, up. Um, anyway, uh, let me get on with the uh, news item here. Um, NBC6 Miami's Ryan Nelson spoke to a witness of a small plane crash on Hallover Bridge. One person was killed and five others were injured when a small plane crash landed on a bridge in Miami Saturday afternoon. A small plane crash landed on a bridge in Miami Saturday afternoon, hitting an SUV and bursting into flames. The plane went down shortly after or before 1 p.m. on the Hallover Inlet Bridge. Uh, Smoke from the plane's wreckage could, could be seen for miles. Uh, the Cessna 172 lost engine power and crashed, hitting a vehicle with three people inside. Uh, so basically, the uh, the three people in the SUV were taken to a hospital for minor injuries, but they were mostly okay. Uh, the the um, pilot of the Cessna 172 died, uh, unfortunately. Uh, he was also an air traffic controller, 36-year-old uh, Narciso Torres, a veteran air traffic controller who worked at the Miami air traffic control tower, I guess probably Miami center. 
I don't know. I'm not sure if he's a tower guy Tracon, or a center. I think. Okay, yeah. Tracon. Uh, this is a terrible tragedy that has sent shockwaves throughout the National Air Traffic Controllers Association family, NATCA uh, President Rich Santa said. Fire Rescue said there were five people injured, including two who were on the plane, and they were taken to a local hospital with traumatic injuries. One of them was airlifted to Jackson Memorial Hospital's Ryder Trauma Center, and the other was taken by the ground to Jackson North Medical Center. Footage from the scene showed the wreckage of the plane in the middle of the roadway. Uh, and then, of course, we talked about, we can see on the video the uh, SUV was a dark red or maroon SUV with severe front end damage. Apparently, that's where the airplane hit uh, just directly head on with that uh, SUV. And uh, that engine, I think, took uh, the brunt of the, uh, of, of the damage. Yeah, the force. Yeah. Um, Greg Peterson says he thinks they, he was in the tower at MIA. Okay. Greg Peterson thinks that he was a, a tower guy at uh, Miami International. Anyway, it's uh, sad. Uh, he was kind of along the beach, uh, just past the uh, Hallover Inlet Bridge heading south, and then the uh, engine started having problems. And I think he was only maybe 1,500 feet high. And so you don't have a lot of time. Is that right, uh, Steph and uh, Nick Camacho, when it comes to your engine failing at, uh, you know, 1,500 feet or less? Uh, you don't have a lot of time to think about where you're going to put it down. You got to pick a spot. And mm -hmm. uh, he decided to, to pick this bridge. I'm not sure that that was the best, especially in hindsight, the best uh, plan. But Yeah, I mean, it depends on where he, uh, you know, I think he was over the beach potentially, or I'm not, mm -hmm. not entirely sure. So yeah, he was just, feet, just off the beach. Just off the beach. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of great options there. I mean, I don't know that, uh, you know, the beach could have been very crowded with people as well. Water landings are problematic. Um, you know, if you have a stretch of road that looks reasonably open and it looked, if it looked open enough at the time, I'm sure that's why they, they pick there as opposed to somewhere else, mm -hmm. but not a lot um, of time. Yeah, I've read uh, some uh, some uh, an analysis from people saying that maybe a, a beach landing or just off the water, you know, water landing may have been a, a better, more successful outcome. Uh, but you know, it's so. I mean, easy that's, to impo that's impossible guess. to to say. All yeah. of them are problematic for their own reasons. So, right. Yep. And you know, looking at. It, it, Looking at where this bridge was, you know, it's kind of a long and narrow section of, of land there. And then it goes into a bay, right? So he's, whether it's on the ocean side or the bay side, there's a lot of water. And then as you can imagine, with it being property near the water, it's just jam-packed with buildings. So uh, like Steph said, there's just not a lot of good options. And, you know, it's just one of those things where you will, uh, especially in this day and age, um, You'll always be judged regardless of what decision you make. Um, you know, like if you go in the water, in the shallow area of the water, um, there's a reasonable likelihood that the airplane can flip over with it being a tricycle gear airplane. And then, uh, you know, that can turn a relatively, um, a relatively uh, low impact scenario into a significant scenario if you have trouble getting out of the airplane. Mm -hmm. If you're on the beach, um, you know, like especially if you, have an, if you have an engine issue and your engine's not running and you're basically a silent airplane coming down the beach, then it becomes a kind of a scary proposition for people on the beach because if they're not looking your direction, you know, that it might be difficult for them to get out of the way. And, you know, then the car, the landing on a road has kind of been a age old discussion about 
whether you do it or you don't. And if you do it, you know, do you land with the direction of traffic or do you land against the flow of traffic? Um, I don't know. If yeah, any and of those and I mean, in this case, it wasn't answered. a very, it wasn't a very wide road anyway. So he's taking mm -hmm. up, you know, most of um, that space, but yeah, I, I think here they, they probably just had a matter of seconds to decide what they were going to do because they didn't have a lot of altitude and, you know, that was in their, in their judgment at that time, the best option they had. And I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's horrible and sad that there was the one loss of life, but, um, you can see from the video before it, you know, the, the video that we were watching at the very start, um, you know, if, if, if the road had not been so congested, it probably would have been a very good outcome. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, yeah, sad, uh, ending for the, uh, air traffic controller and, um, but, uh, it's, it's nice that, um, most everybody else, um, were relatively unscathed or at least weren't killed. Um, let's move on to this, uh, second item in the news, uh, a Tibet A319 at Chongqing, uh, in China on May 12th, 2022 runway excursion on takeoff, a Tibet airlines, uh, 319-100 registration, uh, Bravo 6425 performing flight 9833, from Chongqing to Nyingchi in China with 113 passengers and nine crew. We're accelerating for takeoff from uh, Chongqing's runways three at about 8.04 local time in the morning. When the aircraft went off the runway, crossed the parallel taxiway, crossed another taxiway connecting runway and the two parallel taxis, left both engines uh, CFM56 uh, and the landing gear behind. <laughs> and came to a stop off the runway on soft ground between the two parallel taxiways. A fire broke out at the left forward side of the aircraft. The aircraft was evacuated via slides. 36 people received minor injuries in the accident. The aircraft sustained damage beyond repair. A Tibet Airlines reported 113 passengers and nine crew were on board. Okay, uh, that's pretty much what I just said. Uh, weather at the time, uh, very light winds, almost calm, Cav okay, uh, 72 degrees Fahrenheit, 22C. Uh, it looked like a really nice day. Um, they don't, uh, I think there was a witness on board, um, not here in this information that we're looking at here, but I think at another place I was looking at uh, a witness reported that uh, there were uh, one or two large bangs uh, right before the uh, aircraft initiated the uh, uh, reject. and uh, But that's pretty much all the information we have on this, uh, except that I'm glad that they left the landing gear and the engines behind because uh, it made it a lot easier to evacuate the aircraft. It's pretty much <laughs> yeah. on its belly. <laughs> Almost didn't need the slides, and yet yeah. 36 people still managed to injure themselves probably on the slides. Probably. Anywhere else. Yeah. Yep. I don't know that for certain, but I guess. I'm sure that there were though. You're right. Cause that's usually where the injuries come from the evacuation. Yeah, you're right. In fact, the, if anything, those slides probably just got in the way, if anything. Yeah. Anyway, anything to say about that? No, I'm just looking at the pictures now. It's almost not, they're almost not tall enough to actually slide down. Like you just like, no, no, you can end go up two running feet and down get stuck them. and then have to get up and, and clamber over it. Anyway. Not the easiest things to crawl down. So, uh, no, uh, so what do we reckon? Uh, an engine failure and uh, loss of directional control as a result. 
Uh, so the banging might indicate that. The fact that it veered off unexpectedly. I mean, the takeoff uh, is um, usually such a, a relatively simple maneuver that, um, you know, the only problem comes if you have an emergency during a takeoff, in which case it can very quickly turn from something you've done every flight and uh, successfully accomplished into something that can be an absolute disaster. Um, interestingly, um, I remember being at an RAF base uh, for quite a few years, and we had a lot of runway excursions. And uh, <laughs> you learn a bit about what happens when you hit a, uh, a taxiway at 90 degrees and the ground's soft. Uh, if you're a relatively heavy aeroplane, you'll have sunk into that soft ground. And uh, that taxiway now becomes a concrete barrier because your wheels will be you know, well below the level of the concrete taxiway. And it's quite easy for them to uh, get just whipped off. And then once they're off, you're, you're sitting on the engine pod, so uh, they're probably going to come off as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, the airplane's in a mess. Uh, and I, I, I hope that the injuries um, remained minor and that no one uh, got anything permanent, which is great. Um, you know, it, I wonder what's, do we have any idea what speed it occurred? Because, you know, there is that sort of critical area between the point where your nose wheel steering uh, starts to fade out and you don't quite have, you know, the amount of rudder control you would like. Uh, and if you lose an engine at that point, there you really do have to be very firm with the rudders to immediately correct any swing um, that occurs uh, during the engine failure, and then having got the engines uh, back to idle, decided you're going to reject. You've also got to control the swing that comes from the reverse thrust. Um, so yeah, it's it can be, a, but it's something we practice. We're we're supposed to be good at this. So I'm a bit disappointed this crew didn't keep it on the runway. Yeah, I just looked to see if there was any kind of an update, uh, any more data uh, regarding this, and no. Just the information that we have from the Aviation Herald is that it just rejected and went off the runway. So, well, information about um, accidents in China is hard to come by. So, I'm not surprised uh, Aviation Herald is light on this one. What What about an airplane with a multi-wheel truck? Like, if they blew a tire, is that significant in the directional no. control of the airplane, or not? Not, not really. Even? Okay. Now, you, you'll feel the vibration from the damaged tire, and, uh, you know, you, you might start to lose uh, hydraulics as the tire flails and you, the rubber takes out some hydraulic lines. But uh, I, I don't think that would be a significant uh, drag problem. Yeah, I agree. Just got to remember if you carry on and get airborne not to raise the gear. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can put the gear handle up, but it's probably not going to do anything. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Oh, you're talking about if the tire fails. I, I was thinking of yeah. the, of this particular instance. Uh, yeah. No, I no, no. Done it. Oh, oh. After they left the gear. <laughs> 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 yeah. The non-existent gear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't it. know what's going on. The, the gear's not coming up. Uh, let's see. Let's move on to this next item. Uh, an update on the, uh, the, the miracle, um, uh, Cessna 208 caravan landing at uh, Palm beach international airport, uh, an update on the pilot who fell unconscious. And this was sent to us by, uh, APG listener, Jeremy Dudley. 
A pilot who fell unconscious mid-flight is home from the hospital. Doctor calls it miraculous. Uh, let's see the ability of passenger Darren Harrison, 39 years old to successfully land a Cessna 208. Uh, let's see. That was in a nosedive over Florida. Not only saved all three people on board from crashing, it gave doctors a chance to save the pilot. Harrison landed the plane at Palm beach international, uh, where emergency personnel personnel then rushed the pilot to St. Mary's medical center before he was transferred to Palm beach gardens medical center. The pilot, whose name has not been released, is now out of the hospital and resting at home after he underwent surgery for an aortic dissection, according to the hospital. An aortic dissection is a life-threatening emergency in which a tear occurs in the inner layer of the body's main artery. Dr. Nishant Patel, a cardiothoracic surgeon at Palm Beach Gardens Medical Center who treated the pilot, outlined how long the odds were that a man could survive the landing, the trips to the two hospitals, and then the surgery. 50% 50% of patients won't patients won't make it to the hospital. And then those that do, 50% of patients uh, that make it to the hospital will pass away within 24 hours without prompt diagnosis and treatment, he said uh, to a news source. What do you think, uh, Steph? Um, you probably don't see too many uh, aortic dis- dissections in your uh, line of work. I don't see any aortic dissections, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah. Um, but this is one of those things where, no, there, um, you know, the, the, what the cardiothoracic surgeon said in the article is absolutely correct. It is, has a very high mortality rate, um, you know, and it's sometimes um, actually kind of difficult to recognize immediately. People come in with sometimes just back pain as well, kind of upper back pain in between their shoulder blades um, and not recognize it for what it, what it is. Um, in this case, uh, I'm especially amazed because not only was it, um, uh, in this case, it was bad enough that the pilot was unconscious. You know, he was getting insufficient blood flow um, to maintain consciousness. Um, so the fact that he was able to make it alive to the hospital, to the correct hospital where they could do this type of surgery, get it repaired, and then, you know, be discharged home already, that's that's phenomenal. That's, that's more miraculous than almost anything else about this story, I think. I don't know. That's, that's absolutely amazing as well. So just add more one more miraculous thing to this whole story. Yeah. It's great. Now, and, and speaking, very positive. Mm-hmm. speaking of miraculous, I don't know if you had a chance to, uh, I did watch, watch the video. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, he made, He's, he made some good made points. Some valid, very valid points. And I, I, I've, I had my suspicions, um, you know, I fly the caravan. What are you guys um, talking about? I know how it flies. Oh. It's, it's generally forgiving, but anyway, we'll, yeah. we'll not discuss that now. Yeah. So. But, uh, there, there's, there's a, a, well, I'll, I will mention that, uh, okay. this guy, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, at first uh, his name is Dan Grider. He has a YouTube channel. And at first it was like, uh, and then, but the last, last few things that he's put out, um, you know, it's caused me to maybe re, uh, reanalyze my initial feeling about, his uh, channel, but he's still a very, um, uh, what's the the word? Liz, help me out. He's a very controversial. 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 Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, he, he, his, his approach isn't yes, always yes, poor bedside manner, poor bedside <laughs> yes. manner. Yes. yes. <laughs> very yeah. good. Uh, yeah, but he, um, he smacks of a conspiracy theorist a lot of the time. Yeah. But you know, sometimes, uh, there, there are conspiracies. Yeah, every now and again, <laughs> one of them is going to be right. Yeah. Although I still think the earth is flat. So I tell you what, um, okay, well, that's, I don't know if that's a great analogy there, Nick, but anyway, um, (laughs) let's, uh, just say that I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to check 
that out and for it. Yeah, you can. You I think can, he brings can, up some very plausible things about how this worked out as well as it did, and I don't think that would be right. Um, you know, if if it's true, I don't think it makes it any less incredible no. anyway. But no, um, it does make it much more plausible. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so moving along. We're going to continue with this one, uh, D. This is from the Aviation Herald as well. Uh, report. Oh, by the way, uh, Aviation Herald, you'll know if you have been watching, listening to our podcast for any period of time, that it's a great source of Love information. Uh, we use it quite often. And uh, and uh, there Simon. is a, an appeal, Simon Radke. Um, probably not pronouncing his Austrian name correctly, but anyway, he, uh, put out an appeal. Um, I guess costs are kind of overwhelming. And if you, you know, happen to look at his site every once in a while, please consider, uh, yeah. And respect his work. Thank you, Liz. Uh, consider, um, making a donation to his, um, his website and his, uh, his work. And uh, we we make a uh, recurring donation um, to it since we use it as our source for a lot of news items here he's at the my APG. Oh, Liz says that he's uh, Liz's co-producer. Huh? Yeah, I didn't know that. Okay. I, anyway, um, let's see. So getting to this item, uh, Qantas. 787-900 registration Victor Hotel Zulu November Juliet performing flight 93 from Melbourne Australia to Los Angeles California with no passengers and five crew had been parked in Melbourne on September 20th 2021 after a flight from Los Angeles and had been subjected to park procedures as required by Qantas which included amongst other tasks fitting the aircraft with pedo covers as well as engine fan cowl static port covers. In the evening of September 21st, the aircraft was then being prepared for, this is in 2021, by the way, uh, being prepared. Well, that makes sense because it hasn't been September 22 yet. Um, the aircraft was then being prepared for its next flight to Los Angeles the following morning, about 39 hours after it landed in Melbourne. Maintenance uh, certified that all tasks to unpark the aircraft including removal of pedo covers and engine fan cowl static port covers have been completed. Ground crew as well as flight crew performed a walk around. The aircraft subsequently departed Melbourne, crossed the Pacific Ocean, landed in Los Angeles with no anomaly observed by the crew about 14.5 hours after departure. Maintenance in Los Angeles, however, discovered uh, during their uh, post-flight inspection that the engine fan cowl static port covers had remained in place throughout the flight. On May 17, 2022, the Australian Transportation Safety Board released their final report, concluding that the probable causes of the incident were, uh, let's see, contributing factors. Tape covering the four engine fan cowl static ports was not removed by engineer, engineering as per the manufacturer's procedures nor identified by flight crew or dispatch during pre-departure checks. This resulted in the aircraft departing with reduced redundancy to the engine electronic control system. Qantas procedures did not identify all of the aircraft's static ports, and the procedure for restoring the aircraft back to service did not reference Boeing procedures. This allowed different uh, interpretations of which ports would be covered. 
uh, Boeing's static port cover procedure involved the taping down of the streamer tail, although intended to prevent it being torn from the fuse. Oh, intended to prevent it from being torn from the fuselage in strong winds, it likely reduced the visibility of the fan cowl static port covers. Okay, so what we have here is these big giant engines on this uh, very large airplane. Um, there, there are some static ports, just like on the fuselage of the aircraft, um, and that have to do with the pitot-static system of the instrumentation of the aircraft. Well, on the cowls, the engine covers, um, there are some other static ports uh, as well, and that's part of the system that controls the engines, the electronic uh, engine control system. And and as I said here in the uh, in the article in the narrative that uh, that's kind of a backup system so uh, or a redundant system so that's why nobody knew during the entire 14 and a half hour flight uh, that anything was amiss until the uh, post flight inspection in Los Angeles what do you all think about this one yeah i don't know quite what to say jeff because uh, you know we've had uh, failures of um, people to inspect their aircraft correctly that have resulted in engine cowls coming off, opening up an absolute mess of the uh, aircraft and engine. Um, and those latches are right underneath the engine. Uh, so, you know, certainly in the Airbus world, we became very used to uh, getting down on, on a knee and inspecting the belly of an engine um, it's not the easiest thing to do, but it's uh, equally, it's not particularly hard. You just have to be conscientious and, and get down and, and peer along the bottom of your engine. Not a bad habit for anyone who's doing an aircraft inspection. Now, these, uh, this, where this tape was, uh, now I don't like the idea of them taping up the tail of a tape. I mean, it's supposed to hang down so it becomes easily visible, and by taping it up, you're completely um, denying the opportunity for someone to see it at a glance. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely not happy about that. I mean, sure, if you've got a forecast of strong wind and the aircraft's going to be there for some time, well, you might want to consider a different system. Uh, but uh, this this does not seem a very satisfactory way of protecting these ports. I'm disappointed that both the engineer doing his inspection and the aircrew officer involved yes. uh, missed this. Um, and good fortune for them that uh, they didn't have an engine problem that resulted in this redundancy system being required for use, or they might have had an engine failure. I don't know exactly how that system works, but uh, yeah. This is um, one of those you know, things just, that haunts me when I do my walk around. I'm thinking, yeah, I hope too. that there's not something obvious that I've missed. And yeah. I don't know about you, but th this is not a you know low to the ground engine cowling where you got to get on your hands and knees and look up. This is like on the both the inboard and outboard um, sides of the engine cowlings. It's, I don't know. I, I hate to be critical. Looks like pretty obvious that this tape this very bright colored tape is on the uh, engine cowling. I don't know how you missed that, but you know, knock on wood, <laughs> I haven't uh, made a mistake like this yet. So I don't know. I mean, I think that's the, 
the buck for me stops at the pilot crew member that did the pre-flight inspection. I mean, maybe some other people made mistakes as well. Obviously they did, uh, but that should be like the last ditch, you know, uh, safety gap or whatever. Um, I know I'm yeah, not using the right you're, word. You're the last Funyun lining up. Exactly. <laughs> if, if you're the, the second Funyun. officer. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a Lord of the Rings thing or something. Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. he was that so, nice little uh, tiny flaky Funyun that uh, was right yeah. at the end of that uh, lineup. And he missed it. So I think the uh, the inquiry is being a little kind when they say, well, it was it was hard to see because it was taped up mm -hmm. well that's the boeing procedure i don't necessarily agree with that either mm -hmm. um but uh, the fact is that well of you, course not it's a boeing <laughs> well i mean i, uh, I agree no, with seriously, I, I guess actually... there's another placard that was in the in the cab or in the cockpit that said something to the effect on the control column said pedo covers and static covers fitted i don't know when that came off you know when they removed that but maybe if it's not a non-standard procedure they should say yeah. something to the effect of Hey, you're gonna have to actually go look at it and remove it. Yeah, like, I wouldn't the think location. there would be anything like, like that. Like the very the specific location. No, yeah. there, there is. It's a figure four, page seven oh. on the. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh really? What? Um, what In are you the actual at? report. Oh okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. Steph actually looked at the full report. I did. <laughs> good for Steph. Oh, yeah, she's awesome. a doctor. She's good at this stuff. Yeah, so so there was something like a note or something in the cockpit. There is that, a note on the. It says it's a control column warning placard that says oh. pedo covers and static covers fitted. But well, it might be helpful if it says that maybe this is a non-standard. You know. Yeah. Uh, the barricade tape is not. Free, you know. Am, am I right in wind. thinking the second officer was sent to do the walk around? I don't know. I don't know what their he, he, SOP I'm is. I'm just wondering if he even got it, got close to the the pos the um, labels, because the first officer and the captain would have probably climbed into their seats, and he would have been told, mm -hmm. "You you do the walk around." He may not have even had an opportunity to see that sign. Yeah, or you know, like you may have come in. Sometimes or they don't even go into the cockpit, and they just go in and yep. or go out there and do their walk around while and yep. then the guys or guys and gals sit down and they go oh what's this okay yeah whatever <laughs> you're right that could be yeah um, i wonder how much how different their mindset is since they didn't have any passengers yeah you probably have a little bit it's just the, us it's fine if Let's they go. were yeah. just, more laid just, back or something low yeah. body count if we crash mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Liz, i don't think that's exactly what they were thinking but uh could be could be okay um interesting one i think let's continue with this one. Oh, this is a, a very interesting one so much good stuff today. uh so let's go ahead i think and play the uh, vast aviation video on this one it was an incident at mexico city on may 7th 2022 so pretty recent and it is an eye-opener it could have been a tragedy and uh, or let me hit this right here and add it to the stream. Costa Rica 4069, pista 5 izquierda, rueda posición y mantenga. Okay, that was uh, the English version of that was uh, the tower wait. controller. Or, yeah, the Costa Rican airplane to line up and wait on five left. Okay, so line up and wait. Okay, and then it says controller change in progress. So okay, they're they're transitioning to a different controller in the middle of this 
La 1799, buen día, 5 derecha, con H30 decimal, 5 continua aproximación y a la 5 izquierda le confirmo. Uh, Valaris uh, airplane. Uh, I got to back it up a little bit so I can read it. Valaris 799. Good day. Five right. Q and H 3025. Continue approach. Five left. That's interesting. Continue approach. Five left. Valaris. heavy. How much time do you need? Okay, that's a uh, Emirates heavy uh, holding short of five right, the uh, parallel runway. Emirates 256 heavy runway five right, line up weight, and call me back as soon as possible. Another Valaris uh, on final, or on approach. Okay, the first Valaris coming in. Confirm we're cleared to land or cleared for five left. Valaris 799. Okay, there's another airplane saying, uh, there's, uh, there's an airplane on the runway. And then the Costa Rican airplane, who is in position on five left, saying, we're still on the runway. Volaris 799, go around. Okay, so he's giving him instructions for the go around. Okay, so that's basically the incident here. Um, the... There was a controller change. The first controller gave uh, the uh, Costa Rican clearance to line up and wait on five left. Then all of a sudden there's a, a change and the new controller, maybe that part wasn't briefed. <laughs> and uh, there's a Valaris coming in for final and um, a, a very alert um, person in another flight holding short. Um, and we have some video of that one. Sees this happening. Listen to their response. No, 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 no. No mames. No mames. What does that mean, Steph? Uh, it could mean a lot of things, but it's kind of like. Oh my gosh, no way, don't tell me. Like You could even see in this camera view, if, if you're, you're watching the video, me. he's like it's almost like he's shaking his whole body, like no. Like uh, don't you know, no, no, he, no, no, there's no, somebody no. on the runway. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Um it was a close one. Um I think a, a major factor here was that transition of the control positions, and perhaps it wasn't well briefed. It's night, by the way, it's dark. And uh the uh, uh, very alert uh, airplane holding short. I think think they're the ones that made the transmission. There's a, there's another airplane on the runway, and then I think that before they were even given uh, go around instructions, I think that the Valaris 799 was already initiating a go around based on what I see in this video from the uh, yeah. Other I mean, because you can hear you know all that um, 
just the air traffic control in real time in the video as well. So and Volaris, the one that's on short final there, is definitely already in the process of going around. And they had already asked, are you sure we're cleared for five? Le-? I mean, they could tell that something was there was an aircraft probably in front of them. I think it confused me a little bit at the very beginning of this. Uh, they checked in and the controller said five right and then something about continue approach for five left. I'm thinking, huh? Yeah, I wanted to go back and listen to that again because they, I, they definitely said five right to somebody and I couldn't remember which aircraft they said that to. Yeah, here, well, let's put it back up here. So that you see what I mean? It's like he checked in yeah, with he five said right. Five, he fi- said five right, but then he said uh, something about confirming that for him, which I totally missed because their Spanish is too fast for mine. Yeah, so here's the... No, there's, at least some, there's, the trans- there's, there's something in there that's not in the uh, caption. Let's play it one more time. Oh, is there? Okay, yeah, because yeah. I, I don't understand the language. I think, Steph, yeah. you kind of picked up more than I did there. Anyway, uh, so a little bit of confusion there, but uh, I think the major breakdown was the uh, controller change and forgetting that there's somebody already in position on five left. It's dark. Uh, probably a lot of lights uh, on the airplane are kind of blending with the lights on the runway. Kind of hard to pick those things out unless you're, you know, who knows that Valaris may not have even been on frequency when the uh, initial air traffic controller gave clearance for the Costa Rican uh, to line up and wait on five left. Cause they were there for a while. Mm-hmm. Cause they were kind of working and distracted by this um, Emirates heavy holding short of the other runway, the parallel runway. And I think that that probably, you know, was a, also a consideration here. 798, 799 happened. didn't check in until after the controller change happened. And the uh, okay. Costa Rican aircraft was uh, told to line up and wait before yeah. that. So it's possible. Yeah. Mike yeah. Got an interesting comment there. Micah says the uh, U.S. Federal Aviation Administration announced on May 25th, 2021, that it had downgraded Mexico from category one to category two. Okay. Um, not sure this might've been one of the reasons. Uh, I have a feeling it was probably something, um, yeah, that, uh, uh, probably just one of many things that, uh, caused them to downgrade the stat. Now they said Mexico, what do they mean? Mexican airlines flying to the U S is that what you mean, Micah? I don't know. Or, downgraded Mexico from us flying into Mexico. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. I hadn't, hadn't heard any of that, but I haven't either. We don't doubt you though. My, no, my man, not Michael. at all. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, the, 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 the system worked, right? Uh, people paying attention, keeping their SA up and, uh, kind of averting, a, um, a disaster. Yep. Yeah, let's, similar let's to the uh, Canada aircraft uh, making the approach to San Francisco that nearly landed on an aircraft, having lined up on the taxiway instead of the runway. And, of course, we all think of the dreadful accident in 91 of US Air Flight 1493 when a 737 actually landed on top of a Fairchild uh, Metroliner turboprop on the uh, threshold of the runway, having been clear to land uh, when there was a very similar situation to this one. So these disasters uh, can happen, and we're lucky that people are perhaps alert enough to to, um, avoid them at the last possible moment, but you would hope that, you know, people would be more on top of this. And uh, we've got systems involved 
uh, on runways to try and stop runway collisions. Uh, and, you know, the air traffickers should have um, indications on their radar systems when an aircraft is going to come too close to somebody. Um, but, uh, you know, this appears to be still a bit of a problem. Yeah. Another reason why I don't like flying at night. It's hard to see things. Yeah, or you can't see things as well true. as you, during the day, especially when you be, especially when you become more experienced, like uh, Captain Nick and myself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. One of these days, all the civil pilots will get night vision goggles, and then it'll be all right. Yeah, I'm sure there won't be any mm. problems at all. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, we have more bad pilot behavior. Uh, of course, this one, uh, I, I think it's more, not necessarily the piloting aspect, but the skydivers. You know, these pilots that are also skydivers are the most dangerous people the out worst. there in the world, I'd say. <laughs> Sorry, Dr. Steph. Um, an update, uh, the FAA revokes pilot licenses after the midair plane swapping stunt, the uh, Red Bull uh, plane swap uh, stunt, Luke Akins and Andy Farrington. The pilots who attempted the Red Bull organized stunt that ended in a crash must surrender their certifications. The the FAA administration, the FAA said on Tuesday. Oh, I'm glad that they said certifications and not licenses. That is the most accurate. The Federal Aviation Administration. Okay, but then they say licenses. <laughs> Never mind. Um, they said the actions in the stunt uh, in which one plane crashed was reckless and egregious. In addition to the revocation order, the uh, FAA also fined Luke Akins, whom the agency called the lead pilot, $4,932 for abandoning his pilot seat and operating his plane in a careless and reckless manner after an investigation announced shortly after the April 24th stunt. Uh, Mr. Akins and Andy Farrington, a fellow skydiver and pilot, and I think also they were related, right? Wasn't that his like nephew or something? Cousin. Cousin. They're okay. cousins. cousins. Yeah. Um, Cousins are two of a kind. When cousins are two of a kind. Okay, a fellow skydiver and pilot plan to send their single-engine Cessna. You, you got to be old enough to uh, understand that reference. Uh, into a synchronized nose dives at fourteen thousand feet, then jump out to swap. Con- we all know. We've talked about this on the show. We know what the stunt was. Um, so apparently the. Um, uh, Mr. Akins and I guess Red Bull or whoever was in charge kind of submitted to the FAA a, an exemption because uh, the FAA regulations require that there also be or always be a pilot at the controls of an aircraft at all times. And of course, to do this plane swap, they have to momentarily uh, leave the cockpits of the airplanes and then re enter the opposite uh, airplane cockpit. And so they requested that exemption. And the Friday before the stunt took place, uh, the FAA uh, submitted their denial of the exemption. And of course, we know that uh, according to Luke, uh, he decided to keep that a little secret, play secret squirrel and not tell anybody about it. So, um, Secret squirrel, Jeff? uh, Yes, secret squirrel, Liz. There it is. There's the secret squirrel. (laughs) So I I still have a lot of questions here, just considering that this is 
Red Bull and Hulu and two guys who, you know, hold um, FAA certificates, not only for flying, but also um, in the case of one of them, parachute rigging and other things. And, um, you know, they did ask for the exemption, knowing that they would need it for this. How did everyone on board not know that that was something that was potentially pending and make sure that they had all seen the, you know, go ahead before they went ahead? I don't know. If I if if I was involved somehow and knew that that was something that needed to be completed, um, you know, maybe that's part of official paperwork documentation that everyone should be able to see. I don't know. Instead Do you of think just, that Luke just didn't even mention it to that's, any that's of what the other made people? Him, yeah. That's what his statement made it sound like. Right. That he was the one who received the letter and just didn't tell anybody that it wasn't approved. But I don't know. That's how I read into his um, his public statement that he posted, I think, on Twitter or social media somewhere. Steph, the certification for repacking parachutes, is that, I mean, re- revoking that, is that a big deal, really? Yeah. Is it? It's okay. a big deal, too. Yeah. Um, okay. So riggers are the only ones that are, re- are allowed to do, um, excuse me, reserve parachute repacks. So anyone, any um, skydiver can pack their own main parachute, but you can't pack your own reserve parachute. That has to be done by a FAA certificate or certificated rigger. Okay. And is that something that he was probably getting paid to do? So that is that the yeah, sure. <laughs> big impact to him? Potentially. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Among Lots other things. Income. There's other things they can do with those certificates as well, rigging certificates. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. So, yeah. Um I'm, I I don't know if they have uh, they had a certain time frame to appeal this and I'm not sure if they did or not. This news article is a, a little bit old. So, yeah, dated. Does anyone feel like there an emergency exists related to air safety commerce uh, because of this situation? Like, is anyone concerned that these two guys are going to go out and create more danger? Yes, I am. I don't think I don't think anyone is concerned about this. <laughs> no. Okay, you know? that's, that's more of a that's, that's, why the, that's what their that's, that's what, what the their logic did. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but it's more punitive, I think, than anything. I I believe. I think it's I think it's a couple way. of things. I think it's uh you know having run through all of the documentation and um from the FAA or at least all the documentation I was able to see they it, you know part of it is that they had denied the exemption in the first place and then they went ahead and did it so what are you going to do at that point? You know, it's where is if you deny someone an exemption for something and then they do it anyway, are you just going to let them continue to do things even if they're trying to do things the right way? You know, it's a little bit of if the FAA doesn't do something about it, um, what, how do they hold anyone accountable for anything? You know, that's kind of how I took it. Not so much that. Go ahead. Not so much that they think that these two guys are going to go out and continue to do anything that's reckless, dangerous, or that they're doing those things in the first place, or that they hadn't taken any uh, significant number of safeguards to make sure that this stunt was as safe as it could possibly be, not only for themselves, but anyone who might be in the general vicinity near these aircraft, um, which they knew had a very reasonable chance that one could, one or both could crash, you know, based on what they're doing. Um, I'm not sure that that's what was being called into question. I think it was more the fact that they had denied that exemption because really they couldn't give a good reason for why it should be able to go ahead, which we can debate that all day long. Um, I think that's a, a different question, a different matter. But because the de- denial was given, they have to act on it somehow to maintain their authority over these regulations. Because they, they 
got embarrassed, right? Or they look silly. Like, I've never heard of the FAA moving this fast on anything in my life. Yeah, but you know, you'll have to remember that it wasn't that long ago that Trevor Jacobs in his little airplane um, had that little true, and it took him two and it took him two months to deal yeah. with that one. Maybe and it they're took thinking, the FAA like thirteen days to deal with. Maybe this they're thinking, you know, uh, we're losing control here. Nip we need to, bud. you know, nip it in the bud, as Liz just said. Yeah, and it is a fairly cut and dried situation where you, you deny them permission and they go ahead and do it. Then you go, well, that's it. You know, you've right. Trevor you don't exactly didn't, need a, a long Trevor time Jacob, to investigate it. Whereas the other one, he didn't was, ask for permission, <laughs> yeah. and it had to be kind of okay. Let's go through everything and make sure that this really is as it appears and not something that we're we're missing. So, I think that actually probably happened pretty quickly too, considering that it is the FAA. Um, but I mean, I, I would, I would. Sorry, my dog is still barking. <laughs> that's right. We lo- we enjoy hearing him. Um, the, I have more of an issue with why they denied it in the first place, the exemption. Um, and I think we could potentially all maybe agree on that or at least debate it or have totally. Yeah. Right. We, Um, we just did a story about a single engine airplane that crashed in a populated area. And these guys were operating this airplane granted in a weird manner, but they were operating it over private property where they had security keeping other people out and took tons of precautions and the FAA's What's the airspace for, closed, Nick? Uh, no, but the airspace is not closed for parachuting. No, but there are people in the airplane what? who can see a parachutist and avoid them. I mean, all I'm saying is that if yeah. you're tootling along in your light aircraft and you just by coincidence happen to be underneath this stunt, yeah, are you fair. really going to see someone coming vertically down in an unmanned airplane? Uh, yeah, that's really- fair. I, I guess I was looking at that as they violated them for endangering persons and property, and I was thinking of that as people on the ground. I guess technically mm-hmm. you could roll airplanes into that. It seems a little. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I mean, imagine for a, for a stunt like this chance. to be do, be done correctly, it should have a TFR of some sort or protection for the airspace. Yeah, in some way. or mm-hmm. go over the sea. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't know why that couldn't have been part of this necessarily. I mean, TFRs are issued for all kinds of things. Yeah. And I think that one of their test runs when they were kind of promoting this um, a few months before showed, I think in their initial uh, testing, uh, they were clearly over the water somewhere, uh, probably off the Pacific coast. I don't know. Um, yeah. I think that was uh, out by slow where they built the airplanes. Okay. St. Louis Obispo, I think, is yeah. what uh, could, could Camacho be, Man's referring to. I don't know that for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking that that seems logical, that that may have been where they were. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I just think I just think on a lot of levels here, this could have been done uh, safely with the proper permissions. Um, perhaps the permissions were rushed. I don't know. And that's why things didn't get approved as they thought maybe they were going to, or maybe they were led to believe that things were going to be authorized. And that's why they set specific dates and times. I don't, I mean, I don't know. It also took them, it also took them either two and a half or three months to respond right to the request. Um, I think there's probably more to it uh, going on behind the scenes than we are um, privy. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I think that's probably true. Yeah. 
Uh, Greg Peterson, but doesn't the FAA issue the TFR? And if they denied the variance, why would they issue the TFR? Hmm, good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, exactly. No, I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well. But conversely, why couldn't they approve it and then issue a TFR? I don't know. There you go. Anyway. Uh, very, all very valid questions. And uh, we'll probably never know the answer. Moving on to item G. Um, <laughs> okay. This from <laughs> NBCSanDiego.com. Uh, the FAA report states, let's see. First of all, uh, FAA pilots weren't certified to fly a corporate jet that ran off the runway in Kearney Mesa. Uh, the FAA report states that pilot Scott Kitchens didn't hold a valid pilot certificate, which had been revoked two years prior to the crash. We're not sure why it was revoked. The other pilot, Nathan Russell, did have a current and valid certificate, but neither of the men were certified to fly the Dassault Falcon 900EX. Uh, the Dassault, Dassault, um, so. Dassault uh, 900 EX is a very beautiful airplane. It's a, it's a three-holer, a three-engine, um, uh, basically worldwide traveling, kind of a very long-range business jet. Very, very beautiful airplane. Although this picture, it's not so beautiful. They kind of they broke it. They left their gear, too, like that other plane. Yeah, they, uh, they left their gear behind <laughs> on the runway. Uh, so let's get back to the article. I was looking at the picture. I was mesmerized by that, uh, corporate jet that ran off the runway at Montgomery Gibbs executive airport in Kearney Mesa last year was piloted by two men who were not qualified to fly the aircraft. Not only that, but the plane wasn't going fast enough and was 3000 pounds overweight based on the length of the runway. The crash happened on February 13th, 2021, just before noon as the plane was taking off the jet, a Dassault. Falcon 900EX, how'd I do, ran 560 feet off the runway, which sheared off its three landing gear. Both wing fuel tanks breached, causing a large fuel spill, which did not catch fire, thankfully. Five people were on board, including three crew members. The pilot in command was the only person hurt, which was a minor injury. Um, So we talked about the fact that he didn't have a valid pilot certificate, was revoked. And then of course the co-pilot, um, neither of them had, when you fly an airplane, a machine like this, you have to have type ratings to, uh, fly. I got, I don't know if, do you need to have a type rating as a co-pilot though for these things? I don't know. I'm not sure. Only, I think co-pilots or SIC type things are only required out of country. I think sometimes it's an insurance requirement. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So uh, documents say uh, this resulted in over $75,000 in damages. I I would think that it would be a lot more than $75,000. That sounds low based on yeah. the condition of the aircraft Very low. that we saw sitting there. Right. And its gears. And the gears, yes. Thank you, Steph. <laughs> you, caught, you picked that up. Um, let's uh, move on to the – is it the last item in the news it is. Notebook? Yeah. Okay. I, I have not uh, shared the video yet, so let me grab it. Okay, here we go. Drunk pilot crashes Cessna Citation at Mesquite Municipal Airport. Here's some video of the touchdown. A little hot. <laughs> uh, there's an airplane. Uh, Gee, many the brakes on too hard. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think it was kind of a hard landing. Oh, no. <laughs> These are the people. Call an ambulance. Call now. 
These are people oh, in the oh, little oh, structure, the FBO or whatever it is, uh, looking out. Yeah, There's a it's a ring doorbell down. camera, security oh, camera. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Oopsie. Uh, get your uniform on. That'll protect you a little bit. Yeah, he's running out to the fuel truck. I'm not sure if that's what he's going to yeah, drive out the there. Fuel truck. <laughs> Yes, we do. I'm not we sure if there's a firefighting vehicle or not. There is fire and smoke. Okay, so this guy's talking to uh, 911 and saying, hey, uh, we need some, some help out here as an airplane that just landed. Uh, it wasn't a good landing and went off and there's a fireball. Um, so let's uh, see what uh, if we have any ATC audio that we can play here. Got it. 259, 370, good day. 3469, contact Las Vegas Stroke, 125.67. Los Angeles Center. Let me see if I can uh, fast forward to the place where our uh, our pilot, a single pilot of this citation. Uh, let's see, I'm not sure where he originally checks on. 3 Bravo Alpha, contact Las Vegas Approach, 125.6, good day. This controller is awesome, by the way. LA-54, Salt Lake-44. Zig, 1,000, 2,5-0. I think we're getting close. 3-7-20, LA Center, climbing team, level 2-3-0. 7-20, LA-55, Denver, 24. 3-7-20, LA Center, 135.25, good day. Landline communications or that must be the incident airplane speedbird no it's not Speedbird 2270, Jet Test 410, you guys can't navigate the RNAV arrival, is that correct? The airport is in flight, uh, ma'am. Uh, whenever, I'll take the visual. <laughs> that was uh, not the question. Jet Test 410, airport in flight, whenever it works out, I'll take the visual. Jet Test 410, Roger, I'll pass it on the Vegas approach. You'll be talking to them in about uh, 10 minutes. Roger that, out of 240, descent 220, Jet Test 410. LA 54, Salt Lake. 410, fly heading at 220. Okay, return 220, Jet Test 410. Oh boy. And Jet Test 410, if you're able, you're clear, Jack Henderson Airport. Well, at this point, absolutely, Jack Henderson, Jet Test 410, thank you. Wow. LA, good afternoon, Allegiant 95, 300, descending 240. Allegiant 95, LA Center crosses Vegas at 12,250 knots, Las Vegas altimeter 2980. Vegas 12 and 250, Elite at uh, 95. Jet test 410, clear to descent. 
Jets has 410 to center maintain 12,000, Las Vegas altimeter 2980. 12,000. Now, if we're also uh, watching the video of the, um, the track, the radar track of Jet Test 410, and uh, he was just told to fly heading 220. And we're looking at a track now on the radar display showing him, I don't know, heading to the southeast. So not definitely like not 220. 70, maybe 165. A little zig and zag. November 970, Mike, Mike, contact Las Vegas approach on 125.6. And the radar controller is going to pick up on it pretty quickly here. And Jet Test 410, the heading is 220. And if you can navigate to direct Henderson, you can do so at this time. Like she told you to? Absolutely. I'll make the right turn now. Jet Test 420. Go ahead. Yes, ma'am. Uh, sorry, here's the deal. Like, uh, until I get to 18, I feel like I'm still IFR. And I want to get down there, you know? So. Um, Jet uh, Test 410, uh, yes, sir. Just to maintain 12,000. And once you guys get to 12,000, you'll still be IFR with me. That's fine. Airports are in I just didn't want to go over there and bug your business out of uh, L.A. Exert, not Los Angeles, but the deal. And so I cancel at this point. That test 410, Roger. And I'm going to want the, you guys to remain on your present code for VFR flight advisories. Absolutely. Airports are in sight. No problem. No problem. And Jet Test 410, are you guys doing okay up there? Is there is there any oxygen issues or anything like that? Say again? You guys are doing okay up there? You, you're not having any uh, issues like um, oxygen issues or anything? So, I, I'm pausing this for a moment. Um, hypoxia, and we've, ta- we've covered this on previous episodes uh, where people sound just like this guy. Mm-hmm. Sounds like they have had a lot to drink, but it's actually hypoxia. Uh, and it's a lack of oxygen to the brain, right? Um, in this case, though, it's it's not an oxygen issue. <laughs> okay. And Jet Test 410, I just wanted to verify that you guys are landing Henderson Airport. Is that correct? Yes, I'm just making a descent now. Roger. Allegiant 95, contact Las Vegas approach on 125.6. Good day. 25.6, have a good day now. Allegiant 95. You too. Himiter 29087. Hey, firm. Lovely. 1 through 12,000 at this point. Boop 752, Los Angeles Center, Descendant Pilots Discretion, maintain 14,000, the Las Vegas altimeter 2980. Jet test 410, maintain, descend and maintain 11,000. Maintain, I'm sorry, descend and maintain 11,500, 11,500. 11,500, jet test uh, 410, descend 11,500. LA sector 16, no, no, operate. Yeah, and you know what the new SCID is 276. Jet test 410. Better contact, I'm sorry. Airport's inside. Test test 410, Roger. 11,500, uh, requesting visual. Set test 410, Roger. And uh, you can expect that shortly. Thank you. 
His VFR, Jet test four one zero. You can expect that shortly. Okay, cancel IFR. Jet test four one zero. Roger. Just to send and maintain one one thousand. Maintain eleven thousand. Descend to one one eleven thousand four one zero. Plus second center. Jet yeah, test four ten. Go ahead. Yeah, cancel IFR. Cancel center flight volume. Clock twelve hundred now. Jet test 410, just stay with me for a few more minutes, okay? And um, you guys are VFR right now. You're no longer IFR, but stay with me for just a few more minutes, okay? Jet test 410, did you hear me? Uh, go ahead. And jet test 410, uh, just stay with me on this frequency. You guys are VFR, um, but I want you to remain on this frequency on your code, okay? Yeah, I'm under the radar. It's fine, 1200, and have a great day. No, no, Jet Test 410, you stay on this frequency, you stay with me, and you keep your transponder on. Please, please stay with me and keep your transponder on. Jet Test 410 Center. Go ahead. Test 410, um, just stay on this frequency, I want to keep talking to you, is that okay? Loop 752, cross Zig at 12,250 knots. Zig 12,250 knots, loop 752. Loop 752, contact loss, take us approach on 125.6 today. 25.6, And Jet Test 410, we're just, we're just concerned about uh, your flight right now. Um, you have another person with you in the cockpit? No. Jet Test 410 Center. Jet Test 410, Los Angeles Center. He gone. Yeah. And then... We started with that video of the uh, ring. Uh, the, uh, that was not Henderson, though, was it? No. Where he landed? No, not at all. No, that's why I was I was kind of confused. Kind of thinking he did not land at Henderson. He landed no. at this other Mesa it was Mesquite, airport. Mesa, or Mesa Mesquite. Mesquite or something. Yeah, excuse me. I I know. Was he mm -hmm. thinking that he was at Henderson? Maybe. I I mean, I thinking. and and so we do know for certain that this particular pilot was in fact intoxicated from consuming too much alcohol They've yes uh okay. point, only a little bit that. uh 0.288 oh my gosh i think and yeah. and uh based that's on close. some that's of the comments like, it's like multiple times three seven something. times higher than no 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 well point point well, zero point, four so from point zero four, four yeah mm -hmm. it's four, almost four. point eight or it's almost eight times higher correct yeah, uh, it turns out that um, the uh, they they wanted to uh, when they when they got him at the crash scene, uh, and it's a miracle. Uh, do we have some? Uh, I'm not sure if I put some pictures in of the. Uh, yeah. I don't think so. No, I don't think I did. Of the airplane um, crash, it might have some. Uh, some. You had one at the very. There's one at the very beginning at of the video. Four ten, Los Angeles Center. Let me see. I'm going to move forward here on the video, and then I think we might be able to see uh, some pictures at the very end. Okay, here's some pictures of the runway and uh, the touchdown and uh, the swerve to the left, uh, pieces of the airplane and uh, tires uh, littered uh, across the runway. And uh, let's see. Keep going here. Um, eventually we're going to see the, uh, where the aircraft ended. Um, it caught on fire and what remains of the airplane is basically the back half 
of the airplane. Um, it looks like the report, uh, they, they asked him to uh, take a breathalyzer. He refused. And um, I believe when they finally were able to do some kind of a analysis of his alcohol levels, uh, it was 0.288. He said on the report that once he realized that he had survived the accident, that he had, I guess he had a um, big bottle of vodka in the cockpit with him. <laughs> and, as uh, and he, as you do, and you, and he took a big swig of it because he realized he was still alive. Oh, okay. Celebratory Just what I want to do, squid. celebrate with more. Celebratory um, yeah. So uh, we had a question in the uh, live chat from Neil. How many drinks are we talking about uh, for that level? For uh, a man who weighs about 160 pounds, that would be about 11 drinks in one hour to get to that point. In one hour? Yeah. Wow. I mean, you could do it differently with, you know, more, well, you could spread it out differently and have different volumes, but if you're, you know, just want a ballpark figure of what would cause that. That's more than $75,000. About 11 drinks in one hour. Standard drinks. Yeah. That, uh, by the way, uh, in the report, it also said that he was not certified single pilot for this jet. I think that you can get a single pilot certification for this particular model of the Cessna. Uh, but he was not qualified. And to there fly. was no one else on board with him. Nope, it was just him. Good. Yeah. Was it his, his aircraft? I don't know. And this I think that I remember. Props to the controller for at least bringing up the O2 question. I've heard other accidents where that wasn't brought up. Got her head in the game. Yeah. As I said at the onset of or outset, uh, the controller here was amazing. She knew that something wasn't right about uh, the way he sounded on and the, the way he was behaving and the way he was flying the airplane. And so she suspected something. And, and the first thing that she suspected, of course, was hypoxia. And yeah, she purposely and very so, yeah. uh, gave, wouldn't let him go. I mean, it wasn't a legal requirement. It was just she was concerned that uh, there was something wrong. And so she did everything she could possibly do to keep him on frequency uh, for as long as she could. Aircraft. And she was handling mm-hmm. other aircraft at the same time. I mean, just amazing job by this air traffic controller. Um, and I'm but, sure she was doing a lot of other, you know, potential coordinating, trying to mm-hmm. get other people involved who might be able to be of assistance, depending on, you know, uh, you don't hear that on, on the transmissions, but I'm sure that was happening if she was at all concerned. Yeah. Uh there was a, 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 I remember some kind of communication regarding uh, the the pilot uh, that does the, we, we, uh, what's his, um, Cockpit, Cockpit Casual, Casual yep. uh, YouTube channel, Sam, no. I forgot what his uh, last no. name is. Uh, Steve Giordano. Steve Giordano. Um, apparently, he, there were some tweets from him that said that uh, he knew this guy, had a flown with him, and... They he had done some, it was a point. business partner or something like that of his. And, uh, he had done some pretty crazy things when he knew him shady things. I think he used the term. Um, so I guess it wasn't a, at least for Steve, it wasn't a surprise that this guy was, you know, extremely drunk flying this airplane by himself. So, wow. Uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing. That uh, I guess God watches over children and fools, and uh, not saying that he's a fool, but um, yeah, you know, use your imagination. It. Okay. 
Anyway, oh, see, Greg okay. Peterson says Steve's company used to be Jet Test. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Wow. That's just something that you don't, thank God, you don't hear things like this very Was often. Was this guy a cowboy? <laughs> uh, no. You need, to, you, need to, you need to let me know, uh, Nick, that you're going to say something like that so I can get my sound effect ready. I think maybe he was. I think that Just was on the a little on the, bit. Yeah, <laughs> a drunk cowboy apparently. Yeah. Hmm. All, All right. right. Yeah. What a way to end that uh, news segment. But uh, end it we must. And now it's time for yay, my favorite part of the show, other than of course the plain tales, and it's uh, what we call getting to know us Got and Nixie in that picture. Pardon me. Nick C in that picture. Oh, that's right. We need to update that picture. Nick Camacho is not in our in our. Oh, little, good uh, point. Yes, there. I need okay. a handsome picture of Nick. Well, or good a luck with that. Of handsome Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were referencing some of those pictures of Jeff with slightly more silvery hair than white. Yeah. Actually, oh, you up. do feature in last week's um, show. Uh, no respect. But, uh, no, uh, the, no, I need I need house. a decent picture of you, or a, pe- a picture of you being decent, please, Nick. <laughs> That'll be the tough one, the second one. <laughs> <laughs> the latter. <laughs> It'll be a decent picture. Yeah. Indecent. Yes. Hey. Indecent, decent hey, picture. Yes. Would it be okay if I went first? Yeah. Absolutely, go. Your okay. Show. Oh, Yeah, well, I mean, it's all our show, but uh, okay. Um, so, uh, first of all, I'd like to put out a big warning. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this or not, but about a year ago, maybe longer, um, I was talking about Facebook. You know how much I love Facebook. And all of a sudden, I have this re- this account that's, uh, uh, when I started my Facebook account, and I hope nobody's listening from Facebook, but you're supposed to use real names. And I used my first name, Captain, and last name, Jeff. And so my Facebook account is Captain Jeff, or C-A-P-T, Jeff. And it has been that way for many, many years. Then all of a sudden, I I noticed that there's a a new account for Jeff Nielsen. I'm just assumed that it was Facebook saying, look, you're not Captain Jeff, you're Jeff Nielsen, so we're going to create this account for you. Um, and that's, that was my assumption. Apparently that maybe that wasn't a a good assumption. Maybe somebody else decided that they were going to be Jeff Nielsen and use all of my avatars and make it look like, you know, the airline pilot guy, not my current avatar. That's right. They're using an older version of my avatar, by the way. I think there's somebody out there trying to, I don't know what they're doing, but, uh, there, uh, a lot, several people contacted me and said, Hey, are you asking me to be a, your friend, a friend request and on Facebook? And I said, no. And, uh, so, um, this person, Tanya, thank you, uh, notified Facebook and said, Hey, I think somebody's trying to spoof this guy. It's not his account, blah, blah, blah. They said they investigated it and determined that there's no problem. <laughs> so. I thought, well, let me try to log on to that Jeff Nielsen account. I was able to do that in the past, by the way. I can't anymore. Uh, So I don't know what's going on. But anyway, if you get a friend request or something from the Facebook account, Jeff Nielsen, it's not me. Not me. Some of our community members have made some very funny comments over there on Facebook. uh, Liz is saying that some of our community, community members are making some uh, funny comments. Uh, I always wanted to say children fools and ships named 
Enterprise. Need to be a Star Trek fan for that one. Is that what you're talking about, Liz? Or are you talking about the no, responses no, no, over, to... No, over on Facebook. They, oh, on Facebook. Facebook. Are there like the, are people the, making funny comments? That they thought you were a Nigerian prince. Oh, yeah. Prince yeah there's oh, really a Nigerian ones. prince? Yeah, I am not a Nigerian yeah. prince. They talk, to you, they talk to you about their car warranty. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's not me anyway. The, but some scammer or something. I don't know what they're trying to get from you. Uh, just be careful. Just wanted to warn you about that. Legit. So, yeah, if it's Captain... C-A-P-T. By the way, first of all, I'm not going to ask any of you out there to be my friend. I'm not going to send you a friend request. I just don't. I'm not. I'm sorry. Don't take. Don't don't take that personally, Nick. (laughs) By the way, you are my friend already, so you're okay. Uh, But uh, yeah, so just just be forewarned that uh, it's not me. I don't know what they're doing. Um, I went through recurrent training last week, and then uh, it was maneuvers, Val. On Tuesday and Wednesday, and then on Thursday through Saturday, I went on a three-day trip. My first day ended up in Charlotte, where we had a wonderful meetup at the Legion Brewing Company in South Park. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, I believe hey, you should play we that have... audio that we definitely didn't record. Yeah, let's uh, let's play that. Let's play that audio. You and Je- you and but... Steph can fake it. Wait a minute. Okay, let's. Uh, Liz said that we can fake it. We can reenact. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> like lots of noise. Lots of noise. <laughs> 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 oh, you're great too. Yeah, give me another beer. <laughs> uh, it was yeah. pretty noisy in there. It was so very. We didn't. We didn't uh, when get I an audio when recording. I first got there, Steph, uh, there was nobody in that room. No, no, no. I know because like I was like the third person there, and there were two other people. Yeah, in you, the room, you remember? The it was room. very quiet in there, and then all of a sudden, like everybody ended up getting dumped into this back room, and it was like we were yelling to try to communicate with each other. It was uh, it was not good for recordings. Anyway, uh, there's a picture that we're showing on the. On the video, we'll put that in the show notes as well. And uh, it's a great picture that Steph took of uh, the guy that's responsible for this, whether he wants to take responsibility or not. Brad Nunn over on the right there wearing a, a very good looking. What, looking like Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus yeah. yeah, he does a little bit. Yeah, you're right. Um, wearing an Acme, uh, Fly Acme Airlines 500th episode uh, logo shirt. And uh, next to him, the beautiful Megan Carrion. Uh, and then uh, me, and then uh, Armando, Armando, the uh, not the better half of that uh, duo. Aww. And uh, I mean, I love you know, I love Armando. the uh, the bold half. Although that's uh, discriminatory now, we're not allowed to say we'll get that. There. We'll get I'm going to assume you said bold and not <laughs> bold. And uh, we'll uh, continue to Dave Armando's Lieb. right with Dave Lieb. I couldn't. I, I had no idea that David. Lieb, the guy that lives up in Bo- and the Boston area, uh, would show up to a Charlotte meetup, but apparently he has a brother or some family living yeah. in the Charlotte area. And uh, so he showed up, and uh, then we have Carrie and Linda uh, there as well. They live in the Charlotte area, and I first met them at a Kansas City lay, uh a meetup. Meet <laughs> uh, so I'm very, the, 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 everybody's just trying to do their best to confuse the heck out of me. Our, our um, community members, they, everyone just gets around. Yeah, They're they well do. Traveled. And then of course, Dr. Steph, the, the lovely Dr. Steph holding the camera and taking That's that nice. nice picture. So she did, she did her part and I did not, I actually brought a microphone and everything, but um, we just decided 
while we were there that just it wasn't instead of record. Yeah, let's just drink the beer and forget the recording thing, and we'll just uh, do a reenactment, which I think was pretty accurate. That was mm-hmm. a dramatic reenactment, but a good time was had by all. Yes, um, at least that's what they said, and they we said enjoyed and, that they yeah. all showed up and shared a beer and had some nice aviation talk. And thank you, everybody. We always appreciate that. It's fun. Yes, to thank you very much for in-person meetups again. And I think uh, many, if not all, of the people that showed up are are uh, members of our coffee fund cadre. So supporters of the show, um, not only with their great feedback and their presence at meetups, but also financially supporting the show as well. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good Carrie, time. Carrie's in the chat room. Oh, Carrie's here in the chat room. Uh, very enjoyable. Thanks for the beer and conversation. Yeah, you're welcome, Carrie. Thanks, Carrie. Great to see you. Mm-hmm. How was the baseball game? They were they were heading to a minor yes. league baseball game uh, after this uh, little meetup. It was kind of early, so it worked out perfectly for them, I think. Um, so somebody look for that response. And I'm going to move over back to my notes in the segment. Oh, received some uh, feedback from Landon. Uh, and uh, used to be uh, on the West Coast and now in, in Texas. And uh, he sent us some audio feedback regarding our recent loss. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, it's Landon from the South again. I, uh, so I just found out some sad news again. Uh, lost another APG or slash airplane avgeek and PTUK listener and contributor. Um, I lost Glenn. And it's sad. I uh, met Glenn at Oshkosh 2019. Uh, met him there along with meeting Launchpad. Then I wanted to share with you guys what my memory of Glenn was and how cool Glenn was to take me under his wing. Um, I bought my plane ticket to Oshkosh probably about a couple months prior to it, 2019. And I messaged him, Glenn, on Facebook and said, hey, I know you're coming up to Oshkosh. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, and I want to enjoy myself. So can you teach me how to Oshkosh? Because I knew that man had come to Oshkosh, you know, year after year since, I think, 2011 or something like that. And uh, I said, uh, can you teach me how to Oshkosh? And he's like, yeah, let me know what uh, day you're going to come in, and uh, I'll meet you there. And I was like, all right. And then I met up with him. Um, we just randomly, you know, we messaged the whole time, I think on like Instagram or Facebook, something other. And then finally met up, uh, I think around Boeing Plaza and I knew who he was and who he knew who I was. And that was probably about eight o'clock in the morning. It was hot, humid, and sticky. Uh, but, uh, he was like, all right, you ready to go? And it's like, I'm ready to go. And we must've walked for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles that day. And it was wonderful because without him as my guide, uh, I would not have known how to Oshkosh correctly. So I hung out with him for the first three days, uh, took me up to Warbird Alley, made sure I didn't miss a beat 
the entire time that Oshkosh was going on, the entire five days that I was there. Uh, and I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, taught me all about Camp Bacon, the Brown Arch, um, you know, showed me how to find launch pad at the time, uh, you know, the Pipistrola, uh, uh booth, uh, where the APG crew uh, had set up their uh, mobile headquarters. Uh, and it was, you know, it was just a wonderful guy. And I'm going to miss going back and forth with him on my political views on almost everything us cowboys do in, in the United States, in America. <laughs> and I'm going to, you know, miss just overall just having conversations with him, uh, talking. Um, you know, I knew he was not doing too well, and it was a shock, the message that he, you know, put on Facebook. But he kept us informed because he knew we, we cared and we loved him. And, you know, I had every intent on calling him on Instagram, like, like we've done, you know, times before and just having just conversations, catching up and see how he's doing. And I didn't do it. Um, so I regret that. But I'm, I'm glad he's not in pain and we're all going to miss him. He's our, he's our family. So I miss him very much. All right. Everybody try and keep a blue side up. Thank you, Landon. Definitely heartfelt. And uh, many of us feel that same way. And I think the takeaway for me is that never, never take for granted, you know, the friendships you have and the time that you have, because you don't, you never know when it's going to all end. It could be very quickly. And uh, if there's something that you want to say to somebody or something you want to do with someone, just do it. I got something to say to you, Jeff. Oh, Liz is yeah. saying that she has something Good to say word. to me. <laughs> I don't. I don't think Liz misses many of those opportunities. No, no, Liz. Yeah, she, she doesn't. Fully that, she never holds that, back. Uh, that advice. Yeah. Were you going to mention the fundraiser, Jeff? Oh, yes, I am going to mention the fundraiser, Liz. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, still going on. Uh, we'll have a link. I'll remember this time, I promise. Uh, a link to this fundraiser that Hillel Glazer, uh, the uh, Hillel. I think he's. I think he's on the in the uh, bathroom here at the cabin. I'm not sure. Yeah, he's not responding. But anyway, he uh, set this up. Uh, remembering Glenn at uh, Oshkosh uh, Air Venture. And um, I'm not sure what the uh, level of uh, funds raised are uh, yet. It's over 5000 now. Over $5,000. The, uh, the plan is to uh, to buy a, um, a brick, brick, a commemorative brick, to put uh, in that area with the brown arch because that was the area where, in fact, if you look at this picture we have on the screen now, that's the brown arch. And every year, uh, Glenn Taller always organized uh, this meetup of uh, uh, his friends uh, there in front of the Brown Arch, and I think that maybe even the the bricks that they're standing on. I'm I, I don't know if that's are those bricks like that people 
purchase and have inscriptions and such. I mean, they look like it. I'm just not. Yeah, they, I'm I not can't tell. But anyway, we're uh, going to have one of these things created for Glenn. And uh, it, it's just so apropos, I think, for, uh, yeah, for Glenn. Yeah, brilliant idea. And so kind of uh, Hillel to organize that. Yes. Take that on his shoulders. It is. So uh, if you um, have a couple extra dollars uh, that you want to contribute to help us uh, remember Glenn, because in Air Venture, Oshkosh was like just the, the pinnacle, I think, of, um, for him uh, of the year. I mean, he looked so, he so looked forward to, uh, to being there. And he had been there for so many years since 2011, I think is when he started. And, you know, um, I, I, I think he was planning on going again this year. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this was going to be the first year in a couple of years because of COVID and everything and corresponds with his, uh, his birthday and Mm -hmm. everything else. If I remember correctly. Yeah. 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 You're right. You're right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, thank you, Landon. Um, always good to hear from you and, um, thank you for sending in that very heartfelt, um, memorial for, for Glenn. I'm sure that, Glenn's somewhere looking down and smiling, uh, hearing all the wonderful things that we're saying about him. And, you know, uh, if you have something wonderful to say to somebody, say it before they go, just to be sure. Absolutely. You're wonderful, Jeff. <laughs> You're wonderful too, <laughs> Nick. We love you, Captain <laughs> we Jeff. Let's <laughs> just say she's doing that, uh, the, the St. What's the uh, the the school the um, <laughs> uh, in 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 the uh, in the London area? We love you, Captain Jeff. Oh, oh yeah, Saint <laughs> yes. Benedict's is that right? Um, I'm sorry, yeah, I can't remember uh, the, the school. Rob's anyway, school. In yeah, Rob. School. Picture of Rob. Yeah. yeah. We love you, Captain the... Jeff. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> oh, you didn't mean that sarcastically at all. I did not. Uh huh. <laughs> anyway. Nick Camacho. Nick Camacho, what has been going on with you? Yeah, yeah. we want an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> what is what is up with you? <laughs> just been uh, just been kind of trying to keep my head above water here. We're still, uh, you know, with the day job and then helping my folks with their place. Uh, and then last week, I was able to scurry out to uh california again for uh what's called the uh gathering of luscombs the continental luscomb association which is kind of the main type club for luscombs in the united states uh they host a event every year at a cool little airport in california in columbia california that's got a grass runway and a neat campground and that sort of stuff and uh, I was a uh, regular attendee of that when I lived out there. And so uh, this year, before everything happened, I had decided, uh, you know, I'm going to go back out there. So I had got an airplane ticket and I booked a rental car. And then with everything going on, you know, we'd, I had thought about reaching out to some people and seeing if they wanted to do a meetup. And then uh, with the way the last couple of weeks had gone, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make it out there. So we hadn't mentioned anything. but. Uh, I did. I did end up uh, getting out there and had a good uh, couple of days off of uh, the rest of the world. And I put a few pictures in here. 
Oh, here. You want me to not uh, sure how do you do it? Okay. With that? Yeah. So if I click yeah. on that, there we go. Yeah. So this oh, is an overhead view of the little flight line. And then on the right side there, all those trees, that's kind of the campground and they've got a nice shower and bathroom facility and a little clubhouse. Oh yeah. You can kind of see there's a lot of stuff actually happening in there, isn't there? Yeah. Now where, where yeah. is this? This is in the foothills of the Sierra. So it's like, oh, okay. uh, an hour and a half east of Sacramento. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's the other part of California, you know, it's the not <laughs> the good part, <laughs> the not, uh, yeah. Um, I mean the, the coast and the beach and everything, those, those are cool places, but then, uh, this is also, uh, kind of a neat little, uh, refuge to go to. So it's a little grass strip here on the left, which you can see, uh, I didn't fly. They were actually saying it was pretty smooth and in decent shape. It, it doesn't look all that great from this picture. Um, yeah, it looks like the smoother part is the part that is not the runway. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was, I had the same thought. I was like, I think the runway looks in worse shape than the taxi area. Yeah. Right. The ramp area. But, uh, but they, all the pilots were saying that it was good. Hmm. Uh, you can see all the airplanes down there. I think we ended up having about 30 Luscombs show up, which is a average to maybe slightly below average year. But, uh, you know, this event had basically been canceled for the last couple of years. So they're just kind of, up and running again and then went ahead and tossed this picture in there also this oh, was man. the uh best in class or the uh people's choice luscom um that is beautiful this year so yeah so the, the, yeah, I the doug johnson owns that this picture is like super highly polished aluminum yep i guess wow yep oh that and i beautiful. will say these are it is beautiful isn't it fantastic Yep, and I borrowed these pictures from uh, Juan Brown, who uh, we reference occasionally, mm-hmm. uh, Blanco Lirio. He uh, he actually took these pictures, and uh, yeah, he's got a Luscom, I think. So I appreciate that. Yep, he does have a Luscom. So he showed mm-hmm. up on showed up late on Saturday. He had a prior commitment. He ended up getting a to get away from. Him. So he showed up for yeah. a little bit on Saturday night, and yeah, it was a good time. Excellent. It's, uh, you know, it's funny. I like for all the things that I love about going to Oshkosh, like the constant, like, uh, activities and just like madhouse feel of everything going on. Going to Columbia is like the total opposite. And I like it for the same exact reason because it's a small group of people. It's a small area and we're basically all just sitting around talking about airplanes and uh, walking around looking at airplanes, but the scales are just so opposite. It's kind of neat. Well, you know, I think so many people that listen to the, to our show, you know, would be right at home doing exactly that. Yeah. Just yep. being with like-minded people and talking about airplanes and just sitting back and enjoying life. That's why I hang out with you guys each week. <laughs> I think. Really? I'm not sure why you do, but we're glad that you do. Yes. Um, you don't question your motives. How, how, yeah. Um, so, Nick, you, you mentioned just briefly the, uh, uh, the, the tornadic damage to your uh, parents' places. How's, how's the uh, restoration repair process going on with that? Uh, everything's kind of moving forward okay. You know, the big problem right now is just the lingering supply chain issues and labor issues, I guess, just related to everything that's happened in the world the last couple of years. Uh, 
you know, there's going to be some aspects of uh, their house getting the repairs on their house that are just going to be extended way out because, you know, like windows, it's going to take them a few months to get windows, stuff like that. I even, I even saw something, the other, I mean, just this probably has nothing to do with your parents' house, but someone um, I know who has the good fortune slash misfortune to be building their dream house right now. Nothing crazy, mm-hmm. but like can't get a garage door for some reason. Just yep. supply is so very low on one. things. The, the mm-hmm. first company my folks talked to, I think it was four to six months for garage doors. Um, so yeah, it's definitely not a, not a great time, um, but it looks like everything's going to get sorted out. Eventually the insurance company has been pretty good to work with. So it'll just be a, uh, a long road. The news was saying that people who lost their houses completely will probably not have a rebuilt house to move into for two years or more. So wow, it's a bummer. Yeah. That is. Uh, oh, and I will, I do want to mention one other thing that I almost forgot. I didn't put anything in there. I should have, uh, we're going to move the C 47 from California to the East coast oh. over the next oh. week and a half. Oh yeah. It's kind of a late breaking deal where um, coming through south carolina right yes we're not coming through we're no through virginia oh well, virginia's well. pretty close to you right um uh, no <laughs> not that close it's closer well, than we're australia coming, we're coming from 2500 miles away still. is it further oh, than that okay so you're saying i should put in a little bit of effort <laughs> Dry. um yeah so they're they're kind of doing some tiered some um not tiered but like various events for the release of the little documentary film. I shouldn't say little for the documentary film that they made when we, uh, when all of us flew the airplanes over to Europe. Um, I think I mentioned that, but there's a documentary film crew that went along with us and they put together a really cool video of it, film of it. And Gary Sinise narrated it. And it's, it's a cool little deal. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, so we're flying, uh, the airplane's flying from California to Dayton um, for a function on June 4th at the uh, Air Force Museum there at Dayton. So that'll be cool. Dayton, birthplace of uh, aviation. Yeah. Correct. Okay, um, yep. Excuse me. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He does that on purpose. <laughs> so is, is it a permanent um, new home on the East Coast? <laughs> no, 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 no. So, oh, okay. I thought that's, that was, that's like step one. Yeah. Cause that's not, well, you haven't gotten to Virginia yet. So if yeah, I, so, if I remember my U S geography correctly, <laughs> so that's the, almost uh, like East coast. <laughs> yeah. So the first, the first date is June 4th at, uh, at Wright Pat in Dayton. And then, um, I believe it's June 18th. There's a function at the Smithsonian. So we are, so the airplane is getting it's moved. It's called innovations in flight. Oh yeah. Is it on the 18th? That is the 18th. Yeah, that's oh, innovations in flight. Man, I should probably have had stuff up so I could make sure that I wasn't saying anything silly. But it makes complete sense to me that that would be why you'd be at Dulles. Yeah. Um, we'll have updated information yeah, we'll, yep. we'll, we'll, we still yeah, got we time do, for a few of these couple, things yeah you have a couple yeah. weeks i believe it's either the 18th or 25th somewhere on the back half of june the airplane will either be at the smithsonian or near the smithsonian um for that 
And then we're still kind of working on the, the plans for the rest of the summer. It's kind of up in the air if uh, after that event, the airplane goes back to the West Coast or if we can find a place to stash it in the Midwest for a couple more weeks and then fly it up to Oshkosh again, uh, Ooh, which would be cool because Captain Jeff yeah. could finally see the airplane. Yeah, um, I would love that. Uh, so, yeah, so I guess that's the. Um, yeah, I guess it is innovations in flight, so we will be there for that. Not me personally. I'll be in Dayton, um, but I don't think I'm going to be able to make it to the. Uh, Smithsonian function, but and when yeah, are you going to be in Dayton give, again? Do you do you have the date on that? I think we arrive on the third, and then we're in Dayton the June third, fourth, and fifth. Yeah, I might just uh, have to head up there and see you. Yeah. I cannot make it there June fourth and fifth, but <laughs> maybe later in the summer. Okay, excellent. Um, well, we'll have um, updated info on that in our show notes maybe yep and if not then definitely next episode we'll have more yep. detailed information regarding Steph that and then nick. that's awesome that's awesome well thank you nick anything else before we move to Steph? i think that is it oh and uh the very last thing yesterday my airplane uh passed its um pedostatic and transponder 24 month certifications which was oh, the sounds good last hurdle i had to actually having a useful airplane again. So now I can yeah. actually get in the airplane and go for it. Well done. <laughs> Congratulations. Nice. Yeah. So that was, that was exciting. Very cool. Very cool. That's awesome. Hey, Steph, uh, what have yeah. you been up to besides the Charlotte, uh, meetup last week? Mm, well, um, I, uh, the, you know, time goes by, days go by, years go by, apparently decades go by, and I yeah. joined a new decade of uh, life. So, oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Yes. That oh, no. another, uh, <laughs> oh, tragedy. I know. Oh, no. I know. So sorry for yeah, you, sir. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so the big four zero. I'm not sure how that happened. Wow. I know, right? Um, but it's all good. I had a good, uh, good birthday. Well, uh, my birthday was on a Tuesday this year. So yesterday, which, um, the best day, the best the day, obviously, <laughs> um, taco which meant I was, well, yeah, we did go for tacos afterwards, mm -hmm. but not necessarily that was more, um, in spite of, and not because of, um, oh. I will explain here shortly. Okay. Um, let's back up to last week. Um, Rewind time before when I was still in my thirties. Uh, <laughs> we uh, had, uh, yeah, we talk a lot about um, airplanes and some of their quirks and and things that break and delays that happen because of broken aircraft and stuff like that. Well, the same thing can happen in the medical world as well. Turns out, when your live imaging guidance uh, equipment is no longer working, um, you can no longer do procedures for people um, when it's a required. Uh, piece of the puzzle to be able to give them their injections and shots so um i thought it was that just happened last this. week yeah you know just just close your eyes and like a dart for you know <laughs> no um no. it's a bit more precise than that we we want to be very specific about where we're placing those things this has nothing to do with flying but um it it uh meant that i had to scramble quite a bit because um also like the airlines our schedules are generally pretty full um, there's not a lot of room for moving things around or, or changing. You know, if, if a afternoon has to be canceled, the whole schedule has to be canceled. 
it's you might have up to 15 people that you have to figure out where you're going to reschedule them. And these are procedures people have often been waiting a couple weeks for, sometimes even longer, depending on um, various other scenarios. Um, and you want to get them accommodated as quickly as possible. So um, they were, <laughs> we had to think a little creatively. Um, and at first we thought our, our machine was going to be back online pretty quickly. And then it turned out not to be the case. And then it turned out further not to be the case. So even after we had rescheduled people, we had to actually call them back again and say, just kidding. We can't do this because the part hasn't even arrived yet. And it's like a very lengthy install is what we're being told. Kind of um, sounds like um, Major Bell and Bucharest. It does a little bit. I can sympathize, <laughs> except I wasn't stuck out of the country. Um, but I did. Um, our, our workaround was to use uh, all of our, well, most of our offices have the same equipment so that we can um, perform these procedures in office when it's appropriate to do so. Um, but we also have a lot of providers. So usually that time is already booked. You know, these, these machines are being used pretty consistently. But Tuesday morning, yesterday morning, um, our North office, very far north, about an hour plus drive for me, 10, 15 minutes, hour and, t hour and 10, hour and 15 minutes, um, was free. So we called as many patients as we could and said, you know, hey, not ideal, obviously, because you see um, us in our south uh, market office. But if you can come up north, we'll we'll get your procedure done. So um, probably had two thirds of the people uh, take us up on that and showed up. But it also meant that I had to had an early start to my day yesterday, had to drive an hour and a half, uh, you know, further than I normally go, um, get all those procedures done, and then still go back to my other office. So I had to drive across town in the middle of the day, did not really have a lunch hour. Um, but then my my office manager and I um, did go out for Taco Tuesday after the day because she was very instrumental in having to call and then call again, and sometimes even a third call to some of these patients to reschedule them multiple times. Um, so she was quite stressed. And she also had uh, the same milestone birthday several weeks ago. So um, it was a nice way to to celebrate wow. and unwind just a little bit last night. So that was very nice. Must be hard um, on you, old people. Yeah, it was taxing. I don't know. <laughs> it's a lot of driving. Um, and um, aside for that, from that, um, was able to spend some family time this past weekend um, with Justice and my father and also one of my um, oldest girlfriends from way back in elementary school. We've kept in touch for a very long time. Um, Justice was nice enough to get us tickets to see Paul McCartney in Winston-Salem. Mm. So we went to that show on Saturday night and that was absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, he's gosh, 79 and he put on an almost three hour show and just wow. looked like he was having the time of his life doing three it. Three so, hours, that's um, Life goals sort of, for sure, for sure. Well, look at Nick. I mean, he does a three hour thing every week. This is yeah, not this week. Nick. <laughs> He's a youngster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was amazing. He, I mean, lots of Beatles music, lots of his own um, solo stuff and other project stuff. Um, and he sounded great and just, uh, you know, uh, instrument skills, piano, piano, guitar, bass, all fantastic. He, it was a phenomenal show. It's amazing what drugs will do for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Like pharmaceuticals at this point, you mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. Like all the things you see on, on TV. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if after four hours you should go to the emergency room. Because it's no, um, no probably not. Uh, not that one. Well, okay. maybe. Uh, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe. I don't know. It's anyway, Paul McCartney. Um, yeah. I, you know, um, so yeah, that was all, that was all very, very lovely. And I did, um, 
because of the location of the concert, we it got out quite late, um, and the weather really was terrible right before the show. It poured, like absolutely poured rain, but thankfully during the concert it was very nice because it was outdoors at um, Wake Forest University's football stadium, so it was, it was good. Brought the temperature down a whole lot because it had been, you know, 90 degrees Fahrenheit earlier in the day. Came down to about 70, so it was perfect. Nice. Um, but stayed at a, a hotel that had an interesting um, view out the window of a certain mythical... Um, airspace's mm. control tower. The mythical triad. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Yes. So is is that like the Bermuda Triangle, it's where Bermuda airplanes triangle. go and never emerge from? Yes, which is why I cannot say exactly where it was because I escaped and I can't give away. I can't divulge these secrets. She's one of the few that has <laughs> actually been there and has escaped. Yes, and escaped, escaped. Yeah. Have yeah. Lived to tell the tale. Um, <laughs> Sounds a bit like Area 51. Yeah. So um, this weekend coming up, um, looking forward to doing some flying again. I think the weather's going to be back to being nice. And um, hey, for my birthday, I get the day off on Monday next week. I always get a a Monday off somewhere around my birthday. Um, It's either the weekend before or the weekend after, usually, for Memorial Day. Very nice. Yeah. That'll be good. Over to Nick. All right, Nick. Well, uh, good, good luck on your biannual medicals from here on out. Yeah. Mm. Second class? No. You you still have to do them every year for a second class, right? Correct. Uh, I, I don't need a first class yet. So no, you good. will when you become an airline pilot. And I, I still don't need a... Well, no, uh, no the uh, third class goes from two to from five. Oh, to yeah, 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 yeah. But 40. I still I need a second class anyway, so right. no real change. And I don't have to get an EKG. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you'd have a problem. Uh, no. Speaking of problems, uh, Captain Nick. <laughs> Great segue. Well... <laughs> Life continues apace over here. I got a lovely email from uh, a great friend of the show, uh, Phil Catling, and uh, he sent me a copy of the newsletter from the Fast Museum. In fact, it was written faster, uh, not quicker, but to the um, uh, Farnborough. Oh, God. Where's it gone? There it is. (laughs) Farnborough Air Sciences Trust Association. So the Fast Museum is in Farnborough, and it's where we were lucky enough to get uh, the use of a fabulous room there for the uh, 500th. Anyway, um, Phil wrote an article for um, their magazine all about... um, what was uh, occurring, and he uh, he links together Red Flag Joust and our 500th show by mentioning that um, 32 years before um, we had the 500th, uh, they were um, taking an interest in computerized combat uh, that the RAF were doing to evaluate combat tactics and to the, uh, look at the aircraft that they might be considering using in the future. Um, in part of this project, uh, I feel I ought to mention is uh, was or was a scientist uh, with the Royal Aircraft Establishment, um, involved them uh, looking at uh, phantoms flying against the aggressors, uh, in the new um, Air Combat Maneuvering Instrumentation Range, the ACMI, in Dechi in Sardinia, which I mentioned quite recently in a plain tale. Um, and then um, they went on to develop a computerized system where they could analyze tactics. 
which uh, proved to be uh, of great value to the uh, Royal Air Force. Uh, and it was, um, you know, 32 years later that his son, who listened to us, the APG, um, uh, suggested he go along to Fair Oaks Airport where we were having a meet-up. And we chatted, and he discovered that I had been part of the very first joust trial that was held um, shortly after I came home from uh, Australia, where I'd been flying the F-18. Um, anyway, um, th th our discussion there led to a, a visit to uh, Farnborough and to talk to some of the joust personnel who were all involved. Um, and um, that led to an offer to for us to be able to use um, the museum's facilities to hold the UK side of the 500th, um, which, um, you know, the lovely people at the museum uh, there at Farnborough um, were terribly gracious and accommodating. Uh, and um, he seemed to appreciate our presence because... Uh, he was delighted with the publicity they got from uh, the show and mentioned that those who attended uh, enjoyed looking around the museum and uh, were a credit to the APG community. Uh, obviously, some of the worst people he obviously didn't bump into. Um, Multi-denominational donations were received, and when it came time to clearing up, there was very little to do because, quite honestly, everyone had pitched in. Uh, and the success of the podcast can be judged from the email I uh, received. This is Phil. Uh, and that was an email I sent to Phil. I, I mentioned that I've been receiving many emails and of thanks and congratulations for our 500th show at Farnborough. Everyone was blown away by the warmth of the reception they received from the fast staff. And from a personal point of view, things couldn't have gone better. Um I mentioned that we transferred uh, a reasonable sum of funds to uh, the FAST to help their coffee uh, bar. So um, from our coffee bar to their coffee bar. So hopefully that will help. Um, and the, the hopefully we'll get the whole uh, of the letter in or the um, newsletter into the show notes so you can read it for yourself if you're interested. There are several other articles about the Fascinating Air Science Trust. And I really wanted to mention that now the summer is coming. If you're here in the UK and uh, you're anywhere in the South and you're looking for a fascinating museum with the most remarkable people there to help show you around, um, Graham Rood, the curator, uh, an amazingly well-qualified man. And, um, you know, he really was... Uh, so kind to let us uh, come in there and use this as facilities and showed everyone around uh, the museum in the afternoon where they've got some fantastic artifacts and of course all the uh, fixed aircraft that are around the Trenchard uh, house and in their Cody hangar um, that you can find out an awful lot about uh, the history of the area and the history of the Royal Aircraft Establishment uh, is it's a brilliant place to go. So I thought I'd just want to mention that and thank uh, Phil for sending us his newsletter. Uh, and um, hopefully uh, there will be some people, some of our listeners will take a moment uh, to go and visit uh, the Fast Museum. Uh, it would be a lovely afternoon. So thanks very much indeed, Phil. 
That's it. That's it from me, really. I'm, I'm playing bowls and winning so far. Yes. Oh, it's going very well. Good. Yeah. That's good, good. Glad to hear Are you doing some officiating as well or just playing? No, no, I haven't got time for that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking let's, of... Let's, let's quickly do the cover art. Yeah. Uh, let's do the cover art from the last episode, uh, 521. Yeah, it's been a while. We took a week off and uh, don't... don't uh, you know, be mad at judge us for us. that. Yeah, don't judge. Uh, the uh, title of the uh, 521 episode was Built Like a Brick Shorthouse. And uh, you have to be careful about the way you say that. And uh, there is that Shorts uh, 360. Uh, actually, this is a 330 with yeah, the twin that- tail. And uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, built out of brick in this case. Uh, that's what we're looking at. On the uh, on the video, is that is that um, Nick Camacho in the uh, in the? Well, he's sitting on the toilet, so yeah. I, I I don't know. He looks it's a remarkable likeness. <laughs> uh, it does look like you, Nick yes. Camacho. He, didn't he ask for flattering pictures or, or uh, decent pictures? <laughs> farting, decent pictures. Well, actually, I only needed his head. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, it's a slow airplane when it's throwing you forward. <laughs> Back. <laughs> yeah absolutely yes yeah, so uh yeah that that was um that was a fun thing to do i actually think it's probably one of the original caravans rather than a 330 um but um yeah, oh, okay I, before the 330 um, then huh okay yeah i i couldn't find a a, a three uh yeah before the 330s it was a military version um i would imagine that you know made out of brick like that it couldn't be uh very high performance it's got to be very heavy no i i i think it barely uh would have beaten a um i don't know uh, a ford um model t um (laughs) you know so yeah yeah, yeah. Very actually, nice. there, someone sent some feedback who actually flew them. I don't know if we're going to get to it this week, but it was very funny. So uh, perhaps we'll get to that. Perhaps I'm not sure, but uh, we will get to it eventually. We'll get so to that, it when Nick's on for sure. Yeah, we'll get to it uh, when you're on the show for sure. Hey, uh, thank you very much. Uh, there's that uh, you do an amazing job every week on our on our um, cover, cover art. art. And uh, can't wait to see what you're gonna, you're, you come up with uh, this week. Not sure what the By time the way, is going to uh, be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll wait and see what the show uh, suggestions are. Have mm-hmm. you any idea what that thing balanced over uh, Nick's head is in the um, picture? Could you? Oh, <laughs> that red red thing. Is uh, it the top of the toilet? Yeah, it's like the, yeah, the, the, the tank, tank, right? The toilet, that yeah. is a the real old-fashioned toilet. Yeah, yes, that's that we, the we actually, flush system. You know. I've seen those before. Yeah, we yeah, actually have them so in the cowboy that we land. Didn't have those. <laughs> oh right, okay, great. Yeah. Oh well, I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. That's I good. think maybe you saw them when we were at the Biltmore. I was going to. Ex- oh, possibly. Yes, uh-huh. I was going to explain how all that worked, but I don't need to now. No, yeah, we we understand that. that. We cowboys. We know some here. things. What yeah. if they make the day seats <laughs> for that? Though? No, I always thought you were too modern to have that sort mm. of stuff. Uh huh. All right. It's the coffee fund time. Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. 
Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. That's Jeff Smith. He is uh, the podcast jingle master of the world. He does our opening uh, theme song, and he also does the APG Java Jive, which is what we play when we talk about those fine folks that support our show financially, the Coffee Bund Cadre, Coffee Fund Cadre, or the Coffee Bar Fund. Huh. He's not easy for me to say. A couple different ways to support the show financially. One is the OG, the original uh, version of the Coffee Bar Fund, the Coffee Fund Cadre, Vigner Ornguanson, Chris Randall, Lindsay Kiefer, and Jenny in Rome sent us some funds uh, for the Coffee Fund. Thank you all for using the original method. And there's also a way that you can become a patron of the show. I know it's not really art, but uh, we kind of feel like it is. Anyway, we have a new producer uh, from Flight Team Aviation, also known as Jeff, spelled with a G. And he even says hi. He sent some... <laughs> that must be what Jeff looks like there. A little bit of uh, anime or a little bit of uh, art. Thank you very much, Jeff, for becoming a patron of the show. If you want to join these fine folks, please head over to airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. We will too. And now... It's time for feedback. Captain, incoming message. All right, we're going to quickly uh, move over to uh, number 10 in the feedback. And this was from Tim Van Ram. He said, Jeff, I received this Facebook post from California Highway Patrol, Chip Air Operations. They shared Officer Jan Sears' last landing before retiring after 21 years of service. Now we're going to play a little bit of video. Uh, this is his last flight. Prepare to copy information on Air 37's pilot, Officer Jan C. Sears, ID 16104. Officer Sears, otherwise known as Air 150, graduated from the Highway Patrol Academy in 2000, and after successfully completing break-in, he transferred to Air Op in 2001 as an officer paramedic on the helicopter. Air 150 became a pilot on the fixed wing in 2008. For the last 22 years, Officer Sears has served the citizens of California on countless rescues, pursuits, allied agency assists, and so much more. Today, Officer Sears is retiring from the California Highway Patrol and moving on to fly for commercial airlines. Air 150, we are grateful for your service and we wish you all the best in your new career. ID 16104, Officer Jan C. Sears is 1010, May 12, 2022, and ready for takeoff. And this is uh, Air 150, 1010 at uh, Napa Airport. Thanks for everything. Appreciate it. Oh. Air 150, final 1010. And some great video that we're showing on the video podcast. Well, it's brilliant. Uh, the no, that quality of that. 
video is fantastic. Yep, and he's in his airplane pulling off the uh, runway onto a taxiway. And you can tell he was a little bit emotional. It's making me emotional just just hearing him. And now is congratulations, Jan, on a great career with the California Highway Patrol. And uh, we look forward to seeing you out there in the Part 121 world. So it looks like he's making a little bit of a job transition. And uh, should send us some feedback in about what's happening. Yeah, Jan, if you're listening to the show, and you should be, because I know that he's been a longtime APG community member, um, please send us some feedback and let us know what's happening with you. And Tim, thank you very much for alerting us to this uh, momentous occasion. For, uh, we have another Officer video Jan. there that we're going to play. Yeah, we oh, have. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have another video that uh, uh, Jan Sears had something to do with. Nick, what, what do you know about this? Yeah, I've, I I met Jan out in um, San Francisco when I was on one of my trips, and uh, we we got on like a house on fire. He's a lovely man, and uh, he very kindly gave me the T-shirt I'm currently wearing, which is um, one oh. for his division of the. Uh, this the, the Golden Gate uh, Division of uh, the California Highway Patrol. And, Jan, if you've got your challenge coin. <laughs> there we go. Oh, wow. Nick yeah. has got, like, Nick. so many darn ca- challenge coins <laughs> for today's beer. show. <laughs> Excellent. So, man, if you haven't got it to hand, I think you owe me a beer, don't you? For that. <laughs> he does. Another beautiful memento, but not the best, because uh, he knew that I was flying home the following day uh, from uh, San Francisco, and he uh, arranged to have his aircraft in the vicinity and was kind enough to... Uh, produce some movie uh, from the amazing camera that they have in the belly of uh, his uh, aircraft, which was very kindly um, put together by our great friend Neville, uh, who uh, works for PTUK, who uh, assembled this video for us, of us getting airborne in our, A, uh, sorry, yeah, uh, Airbus A340-600, um, Actually, it w- was going to be one of my last um, um, San Francisco's, that, which so it's a fantastic memory for me. And the bit I particularly love is um, as we crossed over the coast here and you see the heat haze from those mighty engines, I think it looks fantastic. But I've got that forever, a forever memory, uh, which Jan was kind enough to arrange for me to have um, of uh, my flying career. So uh, it was absolutely brilliant. And thank you very much indeed, Jan. I'd love to get the chance to um, meet you again one day. Um, and sadly, we never got the chance to fly in uh, your lovely little airplane um, buzzing around the uh, um, the hills of San Francisco. That would have been great, but uh, thanks anyway. That would have been a Gips Aero Air Van. From Australia. Yeah, it's an Australian main thing, I think. <laughs> yeah. 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 Very nice. Great to plain tail. All right. So well, anyway, congrats, Jan. And hey, we need to hear from you. And Tim, I think you know how to get in touch with him. So make sure that he sends us some feedback. Make it happen. Absolutely. Make it happen, man. All right. And now let's uh, jump over to the old pilot's 
Plain Tales for this episode. And the title of this week's is RAF, oh, I love these, Form 414, Volume 16. Here we go. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales, RAF Form 414, Volume 16. At the end of my last episode of Logbook Tales, I left you on a bit of a cliffhanger. Sorry about that. After nearly six months, I was finishing the main part of the RAF's weapons instructor's course on the Phantom, and at home, Jilly was nursing our firstborn, but the pressure of work wasn't quite done yet. What faced us was the culmination of all our efforts over the past months of flying in the form of a week of intense work, drawing together everything we had learned. We had to fly a series of missions against all comers, demonstrating our level of leadership, control, tactics, formation management, aggression and skill, etc. These sorties were complex and demanding, involving tactics we devised to allow us to fly without the use of radio from start to finish. We employed a variety of signals, hand signals when close together, lights and flares from air traffic control when required, aircraft signals like wing flashes and porpoising when further apart, but the success didn't depend just on the passing of orders. It depended on the ability of our tactics to be understood and followed by everyone in the formation and for them to be able to anticipate actions and act as individual units when required. The briefings were by necessity long, but the idea was to keep the concept simple. We walked as a unit, checked our aircraft and climbed in, starting on a hand signal. Once everyone was up and running, we taxied on the light from the tower and took off en masse, with the green flare burning out behind us in the grass, staying low to remain below radar cover. We led our formations out to the combat area and set up on a time. When the bogies arrived, we attacked and killed in a flurry of wheeling fighters before heading off to the next engagement area. It was an intense week of flying. Our briefings had to be prepared early and the debriefs went on late, and sometimes we were flying two major missions a day. We saw a great variety of opponents from helicopters to Hercules, F-5s to F-15s, and everything in between, but eventually the last mission was flown. Weary with the efforts we'd put in, we quietly tidied up a few leftover trips that still needed to be done, like flying air-to-ground strafe gunnery training, a role that had been reintroduced to our air defence phantoms, and then the flying was over, but not the course. We had industry visits to enjoy, learning about what was in the production pipeline for all our weapons and military hardware manufacturers here and abroad. Then began the Grand Tour, starting with a visit to the Wall, that enormous edifice that the Soviet Union had built to separate East from West. Not to prevent our citizens from going to East Germany, but to keep their citizens from escaping their oppressive existence in the East. It was a startling thing to see. On their side, 
great concrete towers armed with searchlights and machine guns, layer upon layer, row upon row of walls and fences covered with razor wire, open spaces affording no cover, the killing zones littered with anti-personnel mines, but on our side a simple line of posts marking the position of the border. From there we moved back into Western Europe, examining every layer of defence that NATO had against possible Soviet airborne aggression, from the missile batteries to the airfields packed with fighters, West German, American and the Benelux countries, until we returned home for a final task. We had to prepare and give a presentation to senior officers on our suggestions for the RAF's next generation of fighter and how it should be armed. Let me assure you, it wasn't going to be the Tornado Air Defence variant. As I took our last slide off the overhead projector and the lights in the auditorium came up, I realised that for the first time in six months I could relax. When the presentations were over, not only did I have my coveted QY badge, but the Nicholson Trophy for the best on the course. On something of a high, I headed home for the weekend to enjoy a barbecue with a Harrier mate with a sizable proboscis. We were old friends, and both our wives had recently produced, so it was great that we could get together. In the garden, sorting out the grill... I was thankfully alone when it happened. I had laid out the charcoal and doused it in meths, but after the flames had settled down, I could see it wasn't a light. I picked up the gallon can and splashed some more on for a second attempt and learned an important life lesson. Meths has a very low flashpoint. The hot metal of the barbecue was enough to ignite it, and before I could work out what was happening... The flame ran up the stream of liquid and disappeared into the can, shortly followed by a whoomph, and the can exploded. The next few minutes were a blur of memories. I was only wearing shorts, so I quickly felt my skin start to burn and realised that not only was I covered in flames, but I was standing in the middle of a burning garden. I don't remember screaming, but Jilly tells me that it was an awful noise. Big Nose was out in a flash, and together we grabbed a floor rug from the washing line and wrapped me up to smother the fire, but the damage was done. Within minutes I was sitting in a cold bath, turning the water bright red. The duty doctor was soon on the scene injecting me with pethidine and packing me into an ambulance to head to the nearest accident and emergency department at Boston. By that time, I was really starting to feel the pain, which in some ways was good. I was to learn that full thickness burns don't hurt very much as the nerve endings will have been destroyed, whereas second-degree burns are bloody painful. It didn't take long for Boston to realise that I'd need a specialist burns unit, which meant a long ambulance journey across the country. By now I'd reached the limit of whatever they were injecting me with, and the thought of hours in an ambulance bouncing across the countryside filled me with dread. My boss had arrived, and asked if he could do anything. 
I made a plea, and he spun on his heel, reaching for a telephone. Within minutes, I was being wheeled out to a great, big, bright, yellow RAF search and rescue seeking helicopter, the nicest helicopter I'd ever seen. Thirty minutes later, we had landed in a football field where the Saturday game had been halted by a dozen or so policemen and a landing zone coordinated off, and before I realised it, I was in the antiseptic, cool calm of the Burns unit. I won't go into all the gory detail of skin grafts, drug-induced hallucinations, drinking vast high-calorie shakes, growing skin takes a lot of energy, apparently, and all the hassle my poor wife had to go through with a newborn and a husband hours away in hospital. I was something of an oddity there, as most patients were old folks or young children. Have a think about that. And I healed quickly. After a few months, I got back home, and my proudest achievement was to push our new baby round the married patch in a pram, about all I could manage at the time. My fight to get back to fitness was boosted by some fabulous news. My posting had arrived. If I could get the doctors to sign me off, then I was going to get an exchange tour in Australia, flying the FA-18. Now the real battle began. I had a target and a deadline to achieve. I set myself alight in June, and the posting was in November. By September, I'd got myself back into the Phantom, first in the rear seat, and then in the front seat with an old friend, the boss of the QY course. I was still bandaged up and would wear compression bandages for a couple of years, but could move okay, and more importantly, there was no leaking under G. Three different dual checks, and I could captain the aircraft again with a brave nav in the back. I passed a phantom competency to instruct check ride, and then flew a couple of months for the OCU, teaching navs coming through on short courses. By complete coincidence, I flew with the very laid-back Andy Kirk, who was in my back seat teaching me on one of my very first operational training trips on 43 Squadron back in 78. Now a squadron leader, Andy was doing a refresher course before returning to the front line after a ground tour. Our 2v1 combat trip would be the last Phantom flight I would ever fly. I had 1,111 hours, but it was time to move on, or should I say, move halfway around the world. For a reason I couldn't fathom, the RAF couldn't afford a proper removals firm to help, so I had to scrounge packing cases from stores whilst Jilly went round the married patch begging for newspapers to wrap everything up in. Before long, we had a pile of huge boxes ready for a low loader to pick up. From there, it would go to the docks and into a container for the three-month journey to Australia. In the meantime, we had to live with whatever we could fit into a few suitcases. We were travelling light. With only a few days left, we scrubbed our mag quarter clean and then watched the family's officer wipe her finger around everything on the march out. We'd flog the car, 
and my beloved motorbike, so now it was trains and buses to find the transport base who would fly us out to Hong Kong. The RAS version of a hotel room left a little to be desired, so we didn't get much sleep, but the next day we were bundled onto a VC-10 for the first stage of our journey. A trooping flight in a military aircraft is a bit like Ryanair on steroids. As you board, a small cardboard box is thrust into your hands with rations for the 12-hour journey. Crisps, packet of one. Sandwich, salmon paste, one. Apple, Cox's Pippin, one. Chocolate, biscuit, penguin, one. Drinks box with attached straw, one. If you want entertainment, you better bring it yourself, particularly for your crawling baby, or everyone else was going to spend the whole flight glaring at you. And don't be the most senior officer on the flight, or you'll be lumbered with the role of dealing with any problems amongst the hundred or so other ranks and filling out the reams of paperwork required. Hong Kong was just as we imagined, hot and humid. We had a week or so spare, so had contacted several of our ex-Air Force mates who now lived there flying for Cathay Pacific Airways. This was in the days that Cathay pilots were the best paid in the world, with more perks than you could shake a stick at. They always flew first class, their joining bonus was more than enough for a new BMW sports car and a Breitling watch. They lived in fine hotels during training, had generous schooling, medical and housing allowances, plus a travel fund that they could use to holiday around the world. We revelled in the exotic aromas of the place, the noise, the bustle, the food... Our son, however, had decided that jet lag was best conquered by sleeping all day and staying awake all night. He also didn't appreciate the attention he got when out and about. The locals thought that a blonde baby was the most gorgeous thing possible and wanted to touch and hold him. I personally was happy for Jilly to give him away, but sadly, not for the first time, she didn't agree with me. Apart from seeing the sights, one of the first things I needed to do was visit Awai Lam and have him knock up my tropical uniforms. For those who might not remember, my tropical uniform allowance had gone to settle a bar bill years before on the island of Cyprus. Luckily, this fine tailor could not only knock up a set of uniforms overnight, it would be a fraction of the cost of Geeves and Hawks of Savile Row. Soon I was suitably suited, booted and bush-jacketed with shorts, long socks, shirts and a white mess kit, etc. After reacquainting ourselves with our many friends, it came time to move on to start a new job down under. This time the RAF couldn't shortchange us and we got real tickets with a real airline for the trip down to Sydney. Descending towards that bustling city, we got our first view of the Opera House and the Coat Hanger Bridge before transferring onto a puddle jumper for the 70-mile flight north up the coast to Williamtown. Landing, we were met by the outgoing exchange officer, who was there to give us a few words of wisdom and sell us his clanking AC unit and his crappy car before he headed back to the UK. My first impressions were great. The base was as smart as a new pin, with neatly laid out lawns, shiny paint 
and smart personnel looking comfortable in short sleeves. The summer was just starting, and we moved from a cold and damp England into dazzling sunlight. I expected to see aircraft buzzing round the circuit, but the place was unsettlingly quiet. There really wasn't much going on. It took me a while to work it out, but if you ever want to invade Australia, do it over the Christmas period, because everybody goes home. It seemed that the entire Air Force had shut down, and everyone who needed to take a long holiday or move base on a posting did it during this period of quiet. Chili and I moved into our tiny married quarter and relaxed, getting used to our surroundings, and waited for several weeks for something to happen. Come the new year, the base started filling up and everyone came back to work. Our pile of boxes from the UK eventually arrived and were dumped on the lawn and we looked forward to unpacking and getting everything sorted out. Then I got the bad news. I was in the mess making a few friends during a get-together. A lot of the personnel still opted to be paid cash in hand and on payday the mess usually had a party. I was pulled aside by a couple of the senior RAAF officers on the base and told, quite bluntly, that they needed the US Navy's permission to allow me to fly the Hornet, and it hadn't yet been granted. What's more, they didn't know if it would. I'm guessing no one got around to actually asking them if it would be okay until I arrived in country and it had taken the Americans by surprise. We had British exchange officers flying Canadian and American Hornets, but I would be the first in Australia, and somebody needed to say yes. As soon as I could, I got on the phone to the British Embassy and spoke to the military attaché. He told me not to unpack yet, because if needs be, they would change my posting to a USAF F-15 training base in Florida, and I should be prepared to move. In the meantime, I felt a bit like a pariah, but on the other hand, eagles or hornets? Eagles or hornets? Wow. Always (laughs) so so good. (laughs) I love this because we, you know, your intro every week, we talk about RAAF fighter pilot, and now we get to kind of fill in some of the blanks, uh, how this all happened. There are going to be some very interesting stories. Um, yeah, I, I will mention one place called Pine Gap. The Australians amongst our listeners will know well of that. I fell foul of Pine Gap very early on and uh, very nearly got sent home as a result. Hmm. Ah, and, that kind of place. Uh, ah, we got to hear <laughs> this story. That means. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And a certain incident uh, in New Zealand, which happened at the end of my tour, uh, which was uh, very humiliating. <laughs> but well, I can't wear it. Generally to hear this speaking, one. my yeah, my three years in Australia were the best three years of my entire Air Force career, and I have enormous debt owed to the Australian Air Force and the fine people who I worked with there. So, uh, yeah, it really was uh, going to be uh, – I hope you enjoy it because uh, uh, my Hornet flying out there was just the best best thing I ever did. Now, to go back toward the beginning of this, um, I first heard of this incident of the uh, barbecue grill uh, uh, <laughs> Nick Flambe 
when I was riding in the back seat of a car that was uh, being piloted by Nigel, um, driving on roads that they they swore they claim were our actual, roads. Their claim that we were, were real roads. <laughs> I've driven on some of those roads, and I'm still not convinced that they're telling me the truth. But uh, to hear. Huh? Uh, this the story. Uh, I was just amazed, and then I just got to hear it again. I mean, that was a very, very traumatic uh, part of your life, and and could have been the end of it. Uh, yeah, it was a moment of of stupidity. You know, it's it's the sort of thing you do when you're not really concentrating, and um, you know, you, it's so easy to do, uh, as I discovered, like None becoming us, a uh, host of APG. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, oh, yeah, that's a good choice, uh, Liz, because there's me with my uh, bandages, uh, the full length of that leg, and uh, on my right arm, uh, I had about thirty percent burns, and uh, uh, about fifteen yeah. percent were skin grafts. What was that on your head? In the end, <laughs> that's uh, my old forty-three squadron hat. It's a uh, it's, it's a hat with a chicken on the top. Oh, uh, and which bought <laughs> a forty-three like a squadron scarf, black and white checkers, and then there's a phantom badge in the front. The Australians thought that was extremely amusing, and when I, um, not to spoil the next story, when I graduated from the uh, conversion year onto the Hornet, I was presented with another hat with a live with live chicken or well, dead chicken parts with actual <laughs> chicken parts mm. uh, parts on ones belonging in, to a real chicken anyway <laughs> exactly instead which i was was required to place on my head and it stank i can tell you but uh, we that those fi- those fine gentlemen there actually are mainly americans because they put most of the exchange officers together that lovely chap beside me uh, another Delta captain uh, and uh, Eagle driver, Jack. Um, he was a very good friend. And uh, the chap in the red shirt was uh, Randy, who was um, uh, U.S. Navy Hornet driver. Uh, and uh, I've met them both a few times since, but not nearly as often as I'd like to. They were two great friends. I would like to point out something. Um, yeah. So I... First of all, Nick is always kind of reluctant to do these form 414 logbook things because he had such an amazing career and he accomplished so many things. He feels like, you know, it's like braggadocious. And I don't know if you caught it, but early on in this plain tale, he talked about some kind of award that you, what was that award that you uh, kind of just very quickly glossed over? Oh, that was um, becoming top of the top of the QI course, but yeah, uh, you know, the, it, it, it wasn't a big course, so we're not talking. Okay, a, so a big the modesty is yeah. kicking in again. So <laughs> I just wanted to point that out that uh, the, we are very, very fortunate to have Nick as a uh, co-host on this show and part of our APG community. Uh, he is he is a very modest person and very accomplished and uh we i love i actually think that some of the best plain tales that you do are these reminiscences re- reminiscences of your uh logbook so 
Well, you, you. you're very kind, Jeff. Uh, unnecessary. So for me, it's a, a quick way to get one done if I'm short of time because I can pluck these things from my memory. Well, I don't have to do a lot of research. Pilots are very <laughs> lazy people too. I'll definitely vouch for that. <laughs> True. I was just going to say I concur and cheers to that. <laughs> yes. cheers, cheers to you. Cheers. Yeah. We, <laughs> Not to be we lazy, are, but we are, more for yeah. Form 414. You did that on purpose, so I can't say that very easily. <laughs> Form 414. Yeah, that's not my idea. Do we have any shimmy damper uh, items yeah, to read? Uh, oh, that'd be good. That would be a perfect time. like 100% sober. So. Yeah, no, I know Number you 16 and then Nick Okay, we're going to do a quick piece of feedback that we kind of alluded to earlier before we did the plain tale regarding the shorts. We were talking about the artwork from our last episode, and we're going to quickly do number 16, then we're going to let Nick go so he can go to sleep. Yes. So here we go. Number 16. And, uh, it's from Andreas. This is a great one. Um, <laughs> hello, APG crew listening to the story about the mighty shorts 360 in your last episode, a little mishap came to mind that I once had on the quote Irish Concord. Once upon a time in the last millennia, when we didn't know about fatigue reports, we were cruising towards Paris with our box full of night fright <laughs> as we noticed that our already poor airspeed was lacking a few knots. We tried everything but couldn't find the fault until we were on final and the gear down request directed our attention to the three Innocent green lights smiling at us. <laughs> yes, we had forgotten to raise the gear. And we were too tired and busy. No autopilot, no FMS, no pressure cabin, no power, no coffee to be alarmed by green lights on the panel. Luckily, the gear position on this ship means part of the main gear is still outside the fuselage. And with a cruise speed of less than 200 knots, the damage was None, except to our professional pride. But we promised we will keep the story to ourselves. Oops. <laughs> and uh, I think you're you're outside the statute of limitations. Yeah, so anyone who we, needs who would have cared no longer cares, and the rest of us are all amused, and um, you know we're all perfect. So it's, it's oh yeah, Andreas, don't worry, we're not gonna we're, we won't tell this story, and if no, we no, do. I, I, it, hardly anybody will actually hear it. No, but I must mention that um, you're not alone in this because uh, not myself, but one of my um, Boeing compatriots on Virgin Atlantic um, climbed up um, wondering why on earth their aircraft was making such a dreadful noise and barely accelerating. And they got all the way up to probably over 20,000 feet before they all realized that they'd left the gear down. So, yeah, uh, it's yeah. the first thing you kind of think of when you think, well, this airplane isn't performing very well. Creating I've not around, done that in a real airplane, but I have done it several times in the simulator and usually has something <laughs> yeah. to do with emergencies going on and go-arounds yeah. and stuff Divided like that. Yeah. attention. Me, me too. Or yeah. multiple people in the sim with you who are all there, you know, to <laughs> kind of have a good time. It's always such a wonderful moment when you get to that point in the checklist, gear down. Oh, it's already down. <laughs> of course it is. 
I already yep. took care of that. Like confirmed when we, before we took off. <laughs> confirmed. <laughs> and I, uh, I just wanted to. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say I just wanted to point it out that slide forty-two, the shorts in slide forty-two had a uh, great tail number. Oh, what does it say? It really does. That's amazing. <laughs> a few. Uh, five six nine six nine or fu (laughs) i love it that's excellent you can see in this photo uh that even when the gear is retracted it's still as you said it's partially extended you know it's not completely that's very true and look there's a (laughs) there's the gear down not a lot of difference there on this particular airplane and this one's crass. And that's a a very crass. crass yeah, it's a very crass. <laughs> well, what's do, do the other slide, uh, Lives? I think there was another good one. Um, no, we can't see that one. Never kind, mind. Kind of makes you wonder why they even put in the effort to partially retract it. Because I know, just leave it down. You know, like the the C forty seven has partially retracting gear, but at least when it's down, all of the struts and everything are hanging out in the air. But yeah, this one they've got everything fared in, even when the gear is down, except for eighty percent of the tire. Yeah, very good point, actually. Yeah, just weld it in place. You'd have saved all that complication. Yes. By the way, Nick Camacho, uh, the photo of your beverage of choice is one of my favorite beers. It's the local Wichita Brewing Company V6 IPA. And it's wonderful because I love the hops that they that they use in uh in, in that uh, particular beer. Um, now I can't think of what the hops are. What Cascade? Are the ho- Cascade, oh. yes, Cascade. Yes. Completely. And That's, V6, yeah. when I first saw that, I thought it had something to do with an engine, but no, it's version six of this IPA. Ah. Aren't there any witches in Wichita? Mm. No, they're all out by... Salem. 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 Well, they used to be out by Salem, but not yeah. anymore. They moved them out they of They were all so. burned at the stake or drowned, one or the other. <laughs> now, if Nick doesn't want to run off, we could do I'm just three. curious. Okay. Now, Nick, if you, if you can uh, make it for one more, sure. or if not, then you can go ahead and go. But uh, no, no, I can manage Liz one is more. saying, okay, uh, number three. Is this, a, is this a new game we're playing? You just say yeah. that to him after Let's every see. story and see if you can. Yeah. How, how We've got about we... seven more, but don't tell him that. It's fine. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> All right, number three. Uh, oh, this is a good one. Jake, the disgruntled Brit. Captain Nick ruined my night. Hello, APG. Hello. So whilst I'm aware, all complaints must go to I am annoyed at Yahoo. No, not a Yahoo.com at AirlinePilotGuy.com. I'm afraid I must escalate this complaint to the highest levels and send it directly to yourselves. I'm 27, and although a playing geek, Top Gun came out before my time, and I never got around to watching it. With Top Gun 2 coming out next month, I thought it was wise to finally have a watch and see this amazing film everyone in the aviation community talks about. Here comes the issue. A few weeks back, there was a certain comment from Captain Nick whilst discussing his old plane tales about the different training around the world. Nick was joking about how the American Top Gun is only nine weeks, I think he said, compared with, say, the British being a proper months-long full-time course. At the time, I didn't pay much attention to this and simply laughed. So there I am. I've taken myself up to, to my room and even bought Top Gun on Amazon to watch. 
the opening title and it says about how they are the best in the world and it's the best training in the world. Immediately, I can't help but think about Nick's comments over the next two hours as each comment is made during the film about how they are the best fighters in the world and this is the highest course you can do to be the best fighters ever in existence ever. And if you want to be as good as us, you need to go to Fighter Town and buy Ray-Bans and bomber jackets and walk around topless and sweaty playing volleyball all day. Okay, I may be exaggerating, but it certainly felt like that. All I could think about was Nick's comment and how different the whole film would be had it been instead of glorious Californian sunshine. It had been wet and windy whales in the valley. Many thanks, Jake, <laughs> the disgruntled Brit. Yeah, you ruined it for for Jake, Nick. Well, yeah, I know. Uh, it's a bit sad, isn't it? But uh, there, I am sorry because uh, they do uh, portray a fantastic world of the fighter pilot, and uh, I gather the flying stunts in the latest version are truly <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, and of course, they fly just a wonderful airplane, the F eighteen. So, uh, yeah, that I think that makes up for it, the latest version, but. Uh, all of us who were in the rest of the world's air forces did kind of look sideways at uh, the, the original Top Gun movie and go, "Really, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna say that?" But of course, we all know it was made by Hollywood, not by uh, the U.S. Navy. So I guess we have to forgive. When I was an instructor pilot uh, in the U.S. Air Force in Columbus, Mississippi, my squadron I was the assistant. Uh, squad, not squadron commander, flight commander. My flight commander and I and our wives went to see Top Gun, the original one, in the theater. And uh, yeah, he didn't have a, a an extremely positive, positive. Um, feeling about the whole thing. Uh, yeah, he had uh, very similar uh, feelings about it that uh, you have. It has Nick. some of the best dialogue of any movie. Ever. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Infinitely quotable. Oh, I'm yeah. in a flat spin heading out to sea. Um, <laughs> wasn't the one that came to mind. But yeah. I can't tell you how many times that I've, did, I've did said that. Did you though, from Neil? Yeah, exactly. Oh, Neil Landmore. Uh, the British course is longer because we stop for tea in the afternoon. <laughs> very true. Yes. Because um, the, the flat top haircut, I think Iceman and some of the others had flat top. It was just just come in. When mm -hmm. I went out to Australia, that every young fighter pilot had one of those haircuts. That was it. It was like a badge of honor for them. So I used to giggle a bit at that because I didn't look like that at all. <laughs> I have to say that I uh, do appreciate the movie and those uh, folks in the Navy that uh, attend Top Gun because when I was in the Air Force, we had a, a crew rest at um, Miramar. And we went to the O Club and we wore our flight suits. And most people didn't realize that we were Air Force, you know, Ooh. transport guys uh, in our in our flight suits. But uh, anyway, cheers. Is it as target a rich environment as the movie suggests? <laughs> it is. Wow. Yes. Really? Yeah. Fair enough. Well, as they, far as I can remember, I don't. I'm an old man. I don't know. My <laughs> memories could be a little bit. See, Captain Nick clearly knows all of the uh, dialogue. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely! You were an old man then. No, I was not. 
I was a young man. <laughs> you know, like my old really? logo with the brown hair. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And the fine. Did you have a fine mustache back then? I did. Yeah. The only oh. time I didn't was when I was in air training command because they frowned upon the uh, the mustache in air training oh. command. Yeah. Spoiler sports, sports. Oh, well. Guys, I'm going to leave you and uh, enjoy okay. the rest of the show. Well, Nick, okay. we're not going to be around much longer, but please go and get some sleep. On the show, he means we'll be around next well, week. Well, yeah, I'm hoping he'll be around <laughs> for much longer. But if we're not, I just anyway. wanted to say to all of you listening and uh, here uh, with us on the in the on the crew, I love you, and um, you know it's it's been a it's a, been a wonderful ride. Thank you. Aww. cool. We love Thank you, you very much. Oh, brilliant. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm I'm still okay. I'm okay. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm very glad to hear it. Right, guys. I'll I'll good see night, you next Captain week, Captain Nick. We'll see All you the next best. Week. Cheers. <laughs> Rest well. Bye. Take care. Ah, okay. I thought he'd never. Really, oh, he's still there. <laughs> Definitely still there. I see him. He's still down in the. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. He's still waiting Hold to see commentary. what we're going to say. Hold your commentary. <laughs> he's, waiting. He's, he's talking to himself now because we can't. That guy. Hear him. God. I thought he'd never leave. Okay. <laughs> No, nah, we're we, yeah, we love this guy, and uh, I'm I'm so blessed. We're so blessed to have him on our show. Gotcha. All right, let's uh, go somewhere. What is uh, Liz going to tell me? Bermuda. Well, wherever you Bahamas. want. You've only got ten minutes, so only ten minutes. Oh heck, we we should probably just stop the show. Let's do. Uh, let me see. Which one will I want to do? Oh, I don't know. What, let's okay. Let's do something. Okay. Um, okay. We can do it, knock this one out pretty quickly because it's not really aviation related. Number 11. Uh, Robert from Tucker, Georgia. Uh, I remember seeing a copy of, the, of a US FAA pilot license in episode 519 where the pilot's hair color was bald. So do the Brits need to call the Americans? Does APG HR? Have an opinion? Okay, what is he talking about here? Uh, so this is from uh, theguardian.com. Calling a man bald is sex-related harassment, employment tribunal rules. Huh? Hmm? Yeah. Calling a man bald is sex-related harassment, an employment tribunal has ruled. Air lo- hair loss is, <coughs> not air loss, hair loss is much more prevalent among men than women. So using it to describe someone as a form of sex related harassment, a judgment wow, has concluded. Commenting on a man's baldness in the workplace is equivalent to remarking on the size of a wo- woman's breasts, the findings suggest. Hmm. Okay. Huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the ruling made by a panel of three men. <laughs> <laughs> who, in making their judgment, bemoaned their own lack of hair. Aha, uh-huh, there it is. Hmm. Comes hmm. in a case between a veteran electrician and the manufacturing firm where he was employed. Tony Finn, who was in line for compensation, had worked for the West Yorkshire-based British Bung Company. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. For, <laughs> I have a lot for, of questions in this uh, For almost 24 years. <laughs> when he was fired in May last year, he took the company to the tribunal claiming, among other things, he had been the victim of sex-related harassment after an incident with the factory supervisor, Jamie King. Finn alleged that during a shop floor row in July <clears throat> 2019, King row. Row. had... A row. I'm sorry. Row. 
uh, had referred to him as a bald, I can't say this word. Expletive. <laughs> yeah. C word. The tribunal heard Finn was less upset by the Anglo-Saxon language than the comment on his appearance. Anyway, okay, this is a bunch of bunk and has nothing to do with aviation. I don't know why you sent this in, Robert, but it was kind of fun to talk about. It had to do with the pilot's license showing the pilot's hair color as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was kind of a stretch. There was a a, tangential relation there. A very tangential Um, relationship, yes. Yes. Do I have okay. an opinion? Yeah, that's a bunch of garbage. Well, I think the giveaway like, no is the uh, the panel. <laughs> the yeah. panel of men were all uh, balding. Uh, challenged, hair challenged. Mm. We'll call it. I mean, if anyway. you don't have any hair, how do you know what your hair color is supposed to be? I don't. And how know. else are you supposed to be described? You might describe know. me as bald. And but uh, it's not not all guys are bald. No, there are women. Jeff that, is not bald. No, some women I'm are not bald. Yeah, and there are some women that are. Yeah. And uh, that's all I'm going to say. Let me do one more, Liz, at least. 14? Um, let's see, 14. Um, 15 is pretty short. Yeah, 15. I like 15. Let's do 15. Um, and cool. Like and cool. And a nice way to end the show. Oh, but Liz is saying that Nick might like this one. But, you know, if Nick was a good yeah, good crew member he'll yeah, he'll listen true. to the show okay, after the fact and and he'll and he'll know what we said about it so let's talk this 15 uh hey crew longtime listener first time feedbacker after listening to the amy johnson plain tale on episode 521 i thought i'd share a little something with y'all i'm a private pilot hopefully instrument rated soon we hope so too but My full-time job is as a tattoo artist. Tattoos and aviation aren't a very ordinary mix, but I actually have a whole aviation-related sleeve now. One large piece is of Amy Johnson. I'll attach a photo below, so we're probably showing the photo now. Uh, That's all for now. Just thought I'd share. Love the show, and thanks for the great entertainment. All the best. Alex from Boston. And there you go. There is a picture of tattoo artist Alex and his uh, his sleeve uh, with a beautiful beautiful ta- uh, tattoo of Amy Johnson, the what's wonderful the other aircraft above Amy. There, what's yeah. the other aircraft Super. above Amy? I don't know. What is that? Does anybody know? Uh, it's, a, got- it's a Mustang right above her head. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, it does oh, look like it a looks like it's sh- shooting down an Amy two sixty two. Oh look at that! Wow. There you and go. then there's some space invaders in the background. As far as I can. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding, Alex. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> and some front, clouds. Front profile uh, aircraft. Right? Wow, but what a uh, what an honor uh, for. Yeah, super cool. Amy. Uh, wow. Obviously, Alex. And an interesting, you know, uh, I, I don't know how, I don't have any tattoos, so I don't know how often people who do have tattoos get asked what their tattoos are, but that's probably something that most people wouldn't expect, and he can, uh, you know. Share a little no- aviation knowledge, there aviation history. Yeah, people inquire. She is too bad that she lost her life at such a young age. Mm. I'm sure that she would have done amazing things in the world of aviation. Mm-hmm. And uh, but hey, at least we know about her now, thanks to Captain Nick and his plane tail, and uh, yeah, and Alex with his tattoo sleeve. All right, 
Well, it's now time for us to end this episode. Just tell everybody there's lots of feedback that we didn't get to. We have a lot of feedback that we didn't get to on today's show. Don't you worry if you send it in and you're wondering, are they ever going to cover my yeah, feedback? We, we won't get lost. Well, I don't know. If um, Liz Probably. deems Maybe. it worthy of being on our show, then we will. They can and, send uh, money to my PayPal account. Oh, Liz is saying that they can send money to her PayPal account, her Venmo account, <laughs> uh, several different ways, which we'll have in the show notes. If you want uh-huh. to make sure that your feedback gets into our Wait a minute. You're not supposed to be doing that, Liz. Just joking. Mm, we need to have a little meeting with HR, I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I'd like to say... Sorry that we didn't get a show out last week. It was a little bit busy for me and everybody else. It was just hard to coordinate something. But uh, it was kind of nice to have a week off. And And, um, I want to say that we really love all of you who, you know, are are very um, supportive of our show and listen to every episode. And, uh, you know, without you, we we couldn't do this. Well, we could. We'd just be people talking nobody listening, but we do appreciate the fact that you are downloading and listening and uh, spreading the word, setting in feedback and all that jazz. And uh, let's talk about how you can learn more about the show and our crew and the community. You can go to airlinepilotguy.com, our website. Uh, where you can find, as I said, uh, information about the crew and the community except and Nick. merchandise, except for Nick Camacho. You don't really want to know about him anyway. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, merchandise, um, more information about the plane tales, um, the community calendar, and so much more. There's a lot of stuff there. Head over to airlinepilotguy.com. And uh, you can also uh, follow us on social media and that's but where not stuff that Jeff Nielsen guy. Not Jeff Nielsen. Don't follow don't follow Jeff Nielsen yes. on Facebook. No. It's not a good guy. And if you get a friend request from that guy, yeah. don't accept it. Yeah. And we're not kidding. Fact, if you get a, fa- a friend request from Captain Jeff, I wouldn't accept that either <laughs> if I were you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, speaking of Facebook, yeah. um, if you would like to follow our official stuff on Facebook, that's facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. We'll be happy to interact with you there. Or you can head over to Twitter. We're at APG Crew, and our individual Twitter information is pinned to the top of that page as well. Um, also, Instagram. We all have access now, and I don't think anyone's posted anything, so that's continuing a fine tradition that we've had for a while. We are <laughs> APG Crew there. We're consistent. Consistent, yes. Nothing if not consistent. Um, and if that doesn't satisfy all of your social media needs, you can also check out Slack. Well, speaking of, Slack is uh, a, a semi-social media thing that... Hey, Hillel, can you do the Slack thing? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. Okay, come on over here. Tell us tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas, we suggest episode and plain tales topics, we plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, 
Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at AirlinePilotGuy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel. Appreciate it. Can you get me a roll of toilet paper? Yep. Yeah, right on it. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, we also want to thank our producer, Liz Piper in I'm Toronto, I'm Ontario, here. Canada. She's always here Dang. making sure that I do everything correctly. Well, I try. Doesn't always work. We are we are so appreciative of the work that you do, Liz. Yes, Thank you for we are. keeping the fun track. Love you and all. And, yeah. And finally, we'd like to say, wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility. Talons, Douglas. Cheers, y'all. See you later. Bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline pilot guy I fly over